For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Whether or not the Garda Shikona should be armed or not, it's an interesting one because uh, Leo Varadkar gave an interview at the weekend to the Irish Mail on Sunday and it's picked up by many of the papers this morning. I see it uh, in the Examiner and indeed also in the Star. Like the Examiner is saying that Mr. Varadkar criticised what he called the appalling scenes in Ballyfermot where two Gardaí were seriously assaulted. Gave different examples like that when he was asked about whether or not Gardaí should be armed. He said it was a matter for uh, the Garda Commissioner, but if the Commissioner came to him, uh, or indeed came to the Minister for Justice and said, we need guards to be armed, or that we need more guards to be armed, well, Leo Varadkar says, well then, I would certainly and absolutely say yes. I certainly wouldn't do anything to block that if he felt that it was the right approach. Uh, such an interesting one, isn't it? Fianna Fáil and the Green Party have ruled out arming rank and file Gardaí uh, but Leo Varadkar thinks differently he says he would back it your thoughts are welcome on that uh, text 0868104106 but the GRA has come out or at least um, one of the Garda representatives uh, Brendan O'Connor and he represents more than 11,000 rank and file members of the force and he said that his colleagues did not want a routinely armed force so that's interesting isn't it uh, I don't know how many um, police forces around the world now remain unarmed uh, like the Irish. I suppose if you were to look at the figures, you would probably say that more around the world are armed than unarmed, wouldn't you? Uh, so thoughts on that? Text 86 Would you feel safer with armed Gardaí? I'm not talking about the rapid response now because they are very much armed, but I'm talking about all Gardaí, uh, or at least to start the the conversation and perhaps the rollout. And then I'm talking about conversations and rollouts. We rolled out direct provision all those years ago and there was a date set, 2024, uh, to uh, be the year when there will be an end to all direct provision. It's a cruel system. If you've ever been in there or heard the stories of those that live in them and have to exist in them, uh, you'd certainly be an advocate for closing them. But it looks as if that's not going to happen now and it'll be long-fingered and shelved for now. And one of the main reasons, of course, is the exacerbated situation by the war in Ukraine. But talking about accommodation and the war in Ukraine, I saw the stats of the weekend. I'll come back to them a little later on this morning. Between April of this year and September of this year, 23.5 million euro has been spent in Cork uh, paying hotels, guest houses, holiday villages, uh, catering companies, all sorts of different uh, companies that took in and now currently house, house Ukrainian refugees, 23.5 million. And that figure is actually on the low side because it hasn't been updated. It's not even totally up to date yet. So it could be significantly higher than the 23.5 million. One or two of the figures that jump off the page of the weekend was the money paid to the Quality Hotel in Yall to May to July, August, September, which which is about four months. If you want to be kind, five months. Uh, the Quality Hotel has received 12.5 million euro. Trabulgan have received nearly 4.5 million euro. And uh, there are lots of other figures and stats on that for Cork, which I hope to come back to a little later on this morning. How do you solve a, a housing crisis in a country? Well, you allow developers and uh, and also landlords and those that are involved in the building and renting of properties, you give them more tax breaks. 
you would think that people would work harder or set up more companies as well, wouldn't you, if you gave them tax breaks? But no, there's no talk about that. It's all to do with incentivizing builders and incentivizing small landlords and also giving them more and more tax breaks as a way of doing that. So that's the front page of the mail today, developers to get tax breaks. Well, I suppose if the state can't build the houses and solve the crisis, give it to the private sector. There's a lot of other issues involving um, health and awareness to alcohol abuse and drug abuse making the papers today. Like the Echo on its front page today says that teenagers as young as 12 years of age are suffering from misuse of alcohol and they're getting in touch with Childline. These are the teenagers themselves calling Childline in desperation uh, with regards to their drinking habits, underage drinking, taking a catastrophic toll. In fact, also, I see in the Times UK this morning saying that there's a, been a big increase as well in the amount of children in the UK who are now taking sleeping drugs, as they call them. The number of children being prescribed drugs to help them to sleep has tripled in the past seven years. And the medication is being overused because of a lack of support for families. It's a breakdown of something in the region of 60,000 children who are being, um, you know, and uh, actually, if I were to drill into it more, I could probably find the age groups, but it's alarming enough as it is, isn't it? When you add into that a story from The Independent this morning saying that one in 10 babies born in this country uh, have a fetal alcohol disorder. I mean, that is just shocking. One in 10 babies born each year with some form of disorder as a result of their mother drinking alcohol during pregnancy. Um, And 600, they think, having the most severe effects on their brains because of alcohol consumed while pregnant. Papers also today talk, well, actually picked this up online over the weekend because it's something that we dealt with a lot on the air in the past, and that is surgery, particularly bariatric surgery, that goes wrong in Turkey that leads to people either getting very sick, very ill, needing corrective surgery when they come home, or dying. The Independent at the weekend online was talking about more warnings to Irish people about the risks of going to Turkey for cosmetic and weight loss procedures after a number of deaths due to complications. There was another death um, this week, the week just gone. An Irish woman travelled to Turkey. She was in her 30s from Dublin. Bariatric weight loss procedure. The cause of her death is not yet known, but it happened there at the time of the surgery. Now, members of her family are out there uh, trying to repatriate her body. But it follows, according to the Independent Online, that she's the third Irish person known to have died in Turkey this year, having travelled there for some form of surgery uh, to control uh, weight. There was a, a woman who died from Waterford in April and a father of three who passed away after flying to Turkey for dental treatment. So medical tourism is big, big business. And uh, apparently the medical tourism out of Ireland to countries like Turkey is up, they figure, as much as 220% in the last year since the lifting of COVID restrictions. Papers this morning also talk of um, issues involving dogs. You heard it in the news earlier this morning. This, by all accounts, was a pit bull that was subsequently uh, put to sleep. It's a young boy who's now in a serious condition in hospital. The story's in the Independent this morning, following the dog attack in Wexford yesterday afternoon. There's been over 1,700 attacks on people now uh, by dogs, by and large on the dangerous dog list in the last five years. And uh, this poor misfortunate young fellow had to be taken by uh, Irish Coast Guard Rescue 117 helicopter to Dublin. He was attacked in his own home by a dog believed to be, to be, to be absolutely accurate, believed to be a cross between a pit bull and a pressa canario, which is a type of mastiff by all accounts. And the animal 
um, was uh, they actually the apparently city council over in Waterford had to bring in a lion expert after fears that the animal would be too dangerous to handle and they used a tranquilizer gun to put the dog to sleep. When you look at uh, the ge- the okay, well we have well, this is this is gender disparity if you like when it comes to wages and the money that's paid to men and to women. And I did talk about this on the air last week, the gender pay gap. There's good examples of it making both the red tops and indeed the independent this morning, whereas the sun says that Irish workers uh, are heading for a bumper payday in 2023. Because employers are saying that they're going to hire more staff next year. 80% of them expect to offer salary increases to employees who are already on the books. So if at some stage next year you don't get yourself a wage increase, you've got to ask yourself, why are you one of the 20% that aren't when 84% said they will be paying their staff more next year? But what are they going to do about the gender pay gap? Because it's found that Irish-based companies operating, say, for instance, in the UK, and there's a lot of them and they're quite big companies, women continue to lag behind, uh, particularly as you move up through, through the ranks, the wage gap between men and women get bigger and bigger. Like they give an example this morning in The Independent that men working in IT earned €12,000 a year more than women working in IT. And one can only assume that it's for the exact same job and the exact same hours. So why? I mean, people should be roaring and screaming about that. And, you know, I always look at it this way. You wouldn't want your daughter to be paid 16% less than somebody in the workplace, would you? If you're doing the same work, that's the way I look at these things. Um, and for the last few days now, um, Jules Thomas has been very much front and centre in the newspapers with regards to the different documentaries and the different podcasts that are made on the unsolved murder of Sophie Toscan de Plantier. And there's some lengthy interviews with her in the Red Tops today where she says that Ian Bailey couldn't have killed Sophie Toscan de Plantier because he's hopeless at covering his tracks. He's just too messy. He was in bad shape after slaying a cockerel. Uh, So there's no way that he could be able to kill a person. So um, they've been together, or at least were, for over 30 years. And she says that um, she would know him better than anybody. And he hated killing things. And she told the story of killing the cockerel. Uh, But she says that um, he is hopeless at covering his tracks. And if there was anything to see, or indeed blood, or anything like that, she certainly would have spotted it. So it makes all the papers today um, with regards to her. I suppose much of it is to do with the fact that she is suing uh, Netflix. Um, and the World Cup, of course, makes many of the papers this morning and indeed over the weekend. I don't know if you were unfortunate enough to have uh, uh, the 90 or 100 minutes of the England match on Friday night. Mother of God, I'll never get that time back again. I just don't get it. I was just wondering why more teams aren't going for it, like just absolutely going for it. And Colin was saying to me this morning, just as we were chatting at nine o'clock, he says, they can be kind of touchy-feely in the early rounds and things should really start uh, picking up, you know, and, and getting more interesting and more exciting as we get out of the first rounds. I hope he's right. And with uh, Christmas just around the corner, Santa Claus is working very hard at the North Pole. You know, you know what they're making at the North Pole more than anything else, it seems? Barbie dolls. Because according to the papers today, not that they ever went out of fashion, but Barbie is set to top the Christmas toy charts this year. That's ahead of Lego and Nintendo Switch. So I think you would say that Barbie at this stage is a very traditional... And, it, and Barbie's been, I know, 
lots of different designs and manifestations of Barbie. But would Barbie would be well, be twenty years old now? I don't know. I'm open to correction on the number. I mean, Lego has got to be at least sixty, seventy, maybe eighty years old, and it continues to rock on. So there's a selection of stories making the papers. There's a very interesting I think it could be interesting if I could work my way through it and I hope to do it later. Front page of the Echo today, talking about more city parking changes. I assume they're saying that whatever the changes are, it's to discourage and people and uh, you know, prevent people from parking inside in the the city centre and areas like that. But more about that throughout the course of the morning. The Neil Prendeville Show. Gold winner for Interactive Speech Program at the IMRO Radio Awards 2022. Courts Red FM. I can't believe what you're telling me. I can't believe it. Kevin says that Barbie was launched on the 9th of March 1959. (laughs) What? I would have said maybe 20, 25 years ago at a push. 1959. Oh, man. <sighs> but Barbie's frozen in time herself, isn't she? You're right there. Like she, Barbie should be like 63 years old now, but apparently she kind of looks more like as if she's 18, 19 or 20. But <laughs> tells you how off the wall I am with regards to how, long, how many years toys are around. Anyway, from toys to hampers, lads. Thank you very much. And indeed, the emails have been coming in thick and fast over the past couple of weeks. Your opportunity is only an email to way, away to win one of our Paddy Box hampers. And we will send these hampers in the coming weeks all over the world. We will ship them to the four corners of the globe. Well, at least the paddybox.com will. So it's a customized hamper of Irish goodies. And I was telling you over the past week or 10 days as to what's in them. Just a selection of ideas that are products that will be in there. You gotta have Barry's tea. You gotta have Tato cheese and onion. You gotta have the Cadbury's milk tray and the Jacob's Club milks and the and the chocolate Kimberleys and the fig rolls and the custard creams. We're also thrown in there. I hope that we can sort out the Tanora. But we've put aside Club Rock Shandy in the event that we can't get the Tanora, but if we can, we'll get it in there. Ballymaloo Relish, uh, Emerald Caramels, McDonald's Curry Sauce, a Spice Bag Mix, and loads and loads of the old favourite sweets. Refreshers and Stingers and Wham Bars and Drumsticks and Macaroons and uh, Cola Lollipops and Love Hearts. So all of that and lots more besides. That's just a selection. So good morning to Maria Barrett. She says, my nephew and his family live in Canada near Toronto. Greg Creedon and his wife Elaine have three young children, Audrin, Fia and Tiernan. They have their hands full. They love Ireland and Irish goodies and they'd love if they won one of your hampers. They'd love to be home for Christmas, but with three small children and their eldest has downs, they haven't enough hands to make the trip. They are dotes and have a great attitude towards life, work hard and enjoy life, and they never complain. I would just love if they won one of your hampers with all of the tastes from home. Greg is from Blarney, Elaine is from Blarney Street, so they're cork through and through, and they'd be worthy winners. Regards to all, as says Marie by email. I'd like to nominate myself for a paddy box. I left Cork in the late 1980s and ended up in Helsinki, Finland. My trips back and forth over the years involve packing all clothes into carry-on luggage, which I then place into the check-in luggage so I have an empty bag to fill to the brim on my return journey home. What do I bring back to Helsinki, you may ask? Ham, rashers, sausages, mature cheddar cheese, potatoes, Barry's tea, tanora, and loads and loads of sweets. 
every time I come home. But I can't get back this Christmas as I'm scheduled to have an operation. And I hope and pray that I'll be set free on the 25th. If not, I'll be in hospital. And I'd really need to so get some Irish cheer. I love your show. I listen every morning from 6am to midday Irish time and in the afternoons after work. So season's greetings to you, Veronica, and best of luck with the surgery. Thanks for the email. My name is Tom Wallace. I'm from Mallow, but I moved to Norway last year. I work as a plumber. Beautiful country, great people. But Neil, they don't know what good food is. When I do get home in the future, I won't be eating fish, I can tell you. <laughs> oh, we just eat lots of fish. The food here is terrible. I nearly forgot what a fry-up tastes like. When I left last year, I bought three boxes of Barry's tea. I've literally ten tea bags left. I bought, I brought back brown chef sauce, Ballymaloo relish, and real butter. All that's gone long time ago. Chocolate, biscuits, everything you've mentioned in the hamper cannot be got in Norway. They can be got, but not the same as back home. I nearly cried when you mentioned Kimberly biscuits, and I totally agree with you changing rock shandy for Tanora. I won't get home this Christmas, so if I won one of the vouchers, I'd be so grateful. Love the show. Listen every day here in snowy Norway. He says, the Norwegian food is terrible. It's fish, fish, fish. Uh, I'd love one of the Irish hampers for my daughter, Melissa, who's now living in Vancouver, B.C. She moved to Canada in 2022, only last June, to work in the summer camps, coaching soccer. She went to Canada on her own, and she travelled around Canada uh, for a period of time, and... uh, has done it solo. She's met some amazing people along the way and has tasted great food. But there are no crisps like Tato, no chocolate like Cadbury's, and no tea like Barry's, she tells me. Melissa, when Melissa left for Canada, when everyone said their goodbyes, I only said goodbye from a distance because I had COVID. Isn't that very sad for a man? I never got to hug her goodbye. I know Melissa would love one of these hampers. She is missing the comforts of home. This is Melissa's first Christmas away from home, and it would be a lovely treat for her, says Olive Wilson by email. And one final one for now. I have always been listening to you. I live in Raleigh, in Raleigh, North Carolina. But Carrigaline is home. When I'm out on my walks, it's you I listen to. Hate when I have caught up on all of the shows. I have to find something else. Your show brings me closer to home from here in North Carolina, hearing all of the news, the good and the bad. It's great when people ring in and share what's going on. And, of course, the Cork accents. I've lived in North Carolina for over 30 years, and apparently, they tell me, have a perfect Cork accent. I would absolutely love one of your baskets, and if I get one, how about I send you and the gang something from here? A bit of bribery, don't you know? Please say hello to my two besties, Carmel DC from Wilton and Betsy O'Brien from Montanati. Lifelong friends, Carmel since I was four and Betsy since I was 12. We're hitting the big milestone in December. Well, which one, I wonder, Maureen, which one? Uh, But anyway, they always make time for me when I come home uh, on visits. And we keep in touch all of the time and I feel like we've never been apart. Don't stop what you're doing, Neil. Here's my address, and that's for Moraid Alcorn from Raleigh, North Carolina, USA.
that's just a selection, lads, of what I'm looking for. So email. If you're overseas or a loved one is overseas, tell me about them. Email neil at redfm.ie. You'd never know. We could be sending them one of our paddy boxes from the paddybox.com. Check out their website, actually, because you could send one directly yourself if you so choose. If you're not lucky enough to win one, you can always send a paddy box hamper. And you can get, I think, prices start from about 40 euro upwards. Be a great Christmas gift and there's plenty of time to do it. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Corks Red FM. I was talking on Friday morning uh, about the uh, report that was released into the organs of 18 babies from Cork families that uh, were in Cork University Hospital. This goes back originally to the very, very early days of COVID. Uh, and I know we spoke about this at quite some length back over the past uh, year or so. In fact, I had a lengthy conversation with one of the mothers of one of the babies, Leona uh, Birmingham, at the time. Uh, the report came out uh, on Friday and I had an opportunity to read through it. Much of the actual scandal itself was 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 actually broken by RTE Investigates. Aoife Hegarty was the uh, chief reporter and journalist on that uh, programme at the time and it was shocking uh, to watch what came out. We were talking about, as I say, COVID and it was at a time in March of 2020, when the post-mortem room team was looking at COVID and expecting and anticipating pressure from the COVID-19 pandemic. So they were looking at ways, I imagine, to free up space. Um, and the they were looking at alternative burial sites for the organs uh, of, of the babies. But apparently the plot uh, for the perinatal organs that would have been used to curk upon was full. Um, rather than me tell you any more than that, Aoife Hegarty joins me by phone. Aoife, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking the call. Would you mind picking up the story, just the backstory to this to begin with, if you don't mind? Yeah, well, this all happened, as you said, back in um, May of 2020, when these 18 families got calls from Cork University Maternity Hospital, totally out of the blue, to tell them that the organs of their children had been incinerated abroad. We now know that they were sent with adult body parts, um, and that means that those parents no longer have the opportunity to have the organs of their children returned to them, or indeed to have somewhere where they can go and visit um, and pay respects to, to the organs of their children. Now, this external report was commissioned in the wake of those phone calls. It was commissioned by Cork University Hospital, but it comes two and a half years after the incinerations first came to the attention of hospital management. The families themselves have held several protests in that time at the at the lengthy and prolonged delays that took um took place. Now the report eventually was shared with families last Friday and it states that what happened at the hospital was an isolated and misguided incident which occurred as you said there to, due to the severe pressure on its post-mortem room team in unprecedented circumstances in preparation for the COVID-19 pandemic and the need to increase capacity at its morgue. Now I should state though that in several of the cases involved in this 
this incident, the organs of their children had lain in the morgue for several months and mm. long before COVID-19 became a factor here. Mm. Now, but it does say that that decision was made at a local level without consultation and it was not in compliance with the sensitive disposal of organs because we now know here that national HSE guidelines are very clear and that organs are to be disposed of by cremation or burial only, mm. which would mean that incineration is very much in contradiction of that. Um, you, you spoke of families getting phone calls in May of 2020. Why were those phone calls made? Correct me if I'm wrong. Had Primetime been on to the hospital or something? No, the, the hospital themselves had initially made that contact okay. um, with the 18 families in May 2020 to inform them of the incineration. But what has emerged in this report is that those, the families and, and six of the 18 affected families did take up the offer to meet the review team. But it's emerged in that report that of those families, they just did not feel that they understood what had happened from those phone calls in that they say the word incineration was never mentioned. For one family, indeed, English is not their first language and they didn't understand the nature of the call. Now, three of the families told the review team that they did not get subsequent follow-up letters offering meetings with the hospital, while some complained the letters they received were vague. The report also says that all six families who they spoke to lacked a full understanding that their baby's perinatal organs had been incorrectly sent for incineration. In fact, they didn't realise the scale of what had occurred until our RTE investigates broadcast in September of 2021. In response, the hospital staff told the review team that it had been their wish that they or preference that they would have met with these families face to face to openly disclose what had happened in person but that was not possible due to COVID restrictions and one other thing I'll add that was in the report is that all these families subsequent to those initial phone calls had then been told that their baby's organs were incinerated in Antwerp in Belgium but this report has now established that they were in fact incinerated by an approved contractor in Denmark which comes as yet another shock for these Why couldn't they even get that right? Well, it is as a result of looking at documentation and they apparently um, sourced legal documentation from the company and that's when the different location um, was determined Um, but that had never been conveyed to the families until this report was shared with them last Friday. Another insult to the families. And do we know of the approved contractor in Denmark the organs were incinerated with? Was it only other body parts and and, or was it all types of medical waste? Well, the the report itself, which on Friday is clearly states that on the two incidents which happened in late March and early April of 2020, these baby organs were sent in in bins with adult body parts. It doesn't go any further to say that anything else was included in in those bins. But it would be, it's called an approved contractor who, who, who only deals with this type of um, you know, this is what it does for full-time business. It, it's an approved and, and contractor for... 
and would have a contract with the hospital. You know, it is not unusual that, you know, limbs that are removed, etc., do need to be disposed of. But that would be an entirely different process with an entirely different level of respect to what you would expect uh, the organs of, of tiny little babies to be to be dealt with. Um, I also know that you, you say that there was no other consultation done. Was Was anybody held accountable though as as the decision maker in this well this report does not specify any particular individual or individuals who are directly responsible it just says that it was the post-mortem room team who made the decision now the report does acknowledge that there was an element of personal burden and stress involved here and that the staff would have felt pressure in relation to all the reported predictions at the time regarding COVID-19 and what possibly lay ahead. However, the report does add that the post-mortem room team did not escalate this incident prior to sending the perinatal organs for incineration. Yeah, but did anybody actually, did they manage to find anybody actually ultimately signed off on it? The short answer to that is no. Okay, all right. Um, What was learned from it then and what's the plan going forward so that this never happens again? Well, the, there was a statement released um, on Friday from the South Southwest Hospital Group, Cork University Hospital and Cork University Maternity Hospital. And it said that they fully accept the findings of the report. They said that while the investigation was underway and as lessons became apparent, Cork University Hospital took the decision to immediately implement changes. It said a number of steps have already been taken to reduce the likelihood of this type of incident occurring again and it's intended that all recommendations local to the hospital will be implemented by the first quarter of next year from the perspective of the review team itself it acknowledges that there was a lot of distress caused to the bereaved families and it again apologised for the impact that this has had on them and indeed the impact that the prolonged delay on in producing this report has had. But what what, what happened since this, this scandal with regards to babies' organs. I mean, they, they said that Corocopon was full. So what are they doing now? Well, I understand that um, despite them being unable to source an alternative plot prior to these incinerations taking place, that has since occurred and no um, organs have been sent for incineration since this incident in early 2020. Okay, so they've found an alternative plot. Yes. Okay, so the, the options are... To use that plot, is there an option for families to look after uh, the organs themselves? So when, 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 you know, a a baby sadly passes away and an organ is being retained following post-mortem, possibly for further examination, you know, parents are given a choice as to what they wish to do. Um, They can either have the hospital dispose of that organ sensitively by burial or cremation only on their behalf, or it can be returned to them um, for their own burial service. But um, as I say, the information booklet that is given to families are very clear that no matter, you know, if if they do decide for the hospital to do that on their behalf, that it does only happen by burial or cremation only. So for an incineration like this to have happened was very much in breach of an agreement that was made with those families. Listen, thank you so much for the update. I appreciate you taking the call. Aoife Hegarty with RT Investigates. In the past, I spoke with Leona Birmingham uh, on this matter, of course, because it visited her family tragically. Leona, good morning. 
Good morning. How do you feel after the report was released? You had an opportunity to digest it. Um, we're still really emotional about it, I suppose. I, we're still trying to um, accept what has happened and, yeah, find peace with it. Brings it all back again, doesn't it? Yeah, that's it. And I mean, there was some things that we only found out two and a half years later. I mean, um, we were told numerous times that our baby's organs were in Antwerp in Belgium. Yeah. And then we're just after finding out that they're in Denmark. I mean, I, I feel like they should have had the decency to tell us before this report was published. We deserved to find out when they found out. And there's no evidence that it's her. Um, I'm not sure how sure they are where our baby's organs are, as it states in the report. They're just going off dates, um, and there's no paper trail of it. So we would like some clarification in the form of documentation to prove that this is where our baby's organs are now. It, it adds insult to injury, I suppose, doesn't it? Yeah, that's it. I mean, I, I'm sure they could have just picked up the phone and said, sorry, they're actually not in Belgium, they're in Denmark the minute they found out. Um, but unfortunately, they didn't. They let us wait until this report was published. Is it, is, it, is it enough to know that this will never, ever happen again and that's the price to be paid for it? Um, I, 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 don't, I don't really believe that, unfortunately. I mean, I, we were here a number of years ago um, and until there's legislation in place, we need the tissue bill passed. Um, and until then, I just if anyone finds themselves in this sad situation, I would not be agreeing for a post-mortem. I would protect your babies at all costs as there's nothing legally to protect them. And unfortunately, this is just something that, that has happened to us um, and hopefully it will not happen to anybody else. Are you saying don't allow post-mortems? Um, yeah, if I had my time over again, I would not sign that post-mortem form. If I had known that there was no legislation, um, there was no tissue bill, um, I wouldn't. Not until this is passed. Even though it would help determine how somebody's child would die, like like in your case, uh, Lee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would rather have my baby whole and buried in his resting spot and having to go through this absolutely unnecessary heartbreak. We got to this point, though, only because families like yourself wanted answers, right? Yeah, we, we needed answers. Um, I mean, when we did do a Freedom of Information Act, um, we saw questions saying, is this a serious incident? The answer read, no, there is a risk of adverse publicity. Um, and that's basically what made us go public. I remember that. I remember that. That must have incensed you when you heard that. Yeah, that, that was heartbreaking for us. I mean, to read that it's not a serious incident that they incinerated our baby's organs. I mean... You saw that paperwork? Yeah, yeah, we saw we saw that paperwork. It was in the Freedom of Information Act. Not a serious um, incident, that they said, but expect negative publicity. As, as if yeah, to say, yeah. yeah, but this will pa- this too shall pass, like... Yeah, yeah, we also saw um, just notes saying that um, a service user having an input into this situation would be detrimental to um, my colleagues and I. Um, and so they didn't want us having an input from the beginning. They didn't want us to have, to have anything got to do with it. That because it would lead to particular criticism of individuals? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, I know you also asked Isa about the uh, were they incinerated um, by themselves and we also found out through the freedom of information that there's not a separate stream for um, other medical waste so um, 
I know it says in the report that they were incinerated with adult limbs, but I mean, everything just goes into one incinerator, I presume, from the Freedom of Information notes we got. But I, I, are you suggesting that you would be worried that they would have been incinerated along with um, medical equipment, medical waste? Um, yeah, yeah, it clearly states that there's not... Non-human waste? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's... I, like, there's a few things that... Um, we does the report that say that, though? It says, the report along with adult body parts from the hospital, it says. Yeah, that's what the report states, that our baby's organs were incinerated along with adult limbs. But you'd believe it could be all types of medical waste, do you? Yeah, because from previous documents that we um, received, it says that there is no separate stream for the bins. So bin waste? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, um, yeah, that, I just that's think just so was, Yeah, this report was very, very professionally. Um, it also says that our son's brain was placed in a casket in the report and through the Freedom of Information Act, I received numerous documents that state my son's brain was placed in a yellow bin. Does this make the report? Um, no, it says that it was in caskets, but I mean, I have documentation to say that it was placed in a yellow bin. There is, for us, I feel like there's a big difference thinking if what? our son's brain in a casket or in a bin. But then it falls very short of the detail, doesn't it? Yeah, that, that's it. I just feel like that's why it took him so long to write this report because they were very, very particular in the words they used and their findings. Yeah, um, because my understanding of just one of the points that you made there was that this would be an approved contractor in Denmark, incidentally, not Antwerp, as you had been said, along with adult body parts at an approved contractor's facility. But is that an approved contractor just for this or is it all types of medical waste? Was was your baby's brain in a casket? And if so, mm-hmm. did it go in a casket or did it go in a bin? Yeah, that, that's a, they're the questions we're asking. We were also told that there was a national directive sent out nationwide to clear all the marks for COVID. But the report states there was no evidence found of a directive sent to the morgue. Oh, no, this was a, this was a solo act, wasn't it? We know yeah, that. yeah, this was just, yeah, this was just, but I mean, from the beginning, two and a half years ago, we were told that there was a directive, and now we're being told there is no directive. Oh my God, what, what, was it just kind of like making it up as it went along, see if you just go away, or just take the answers and move on? Yeah, that, that's what I'm feeling, like, I'm feeling like we were, they thought we would just accept what they said, and that's it, but like, this has just led to more questions from us now. Um, I know we still we have to accept the fact that our son's brain is incinerated, but it's it's the leading up to it. Was it placed in a casket? Was it placed in a bin? Was it incinerated in Belgium? Was it incinerated in Denmark? It's it's the little things that we want to know now. Um, I do recall at the time that there were many other uh, areas and departments within the CUH that were very upset and annoyed about what happened. Aren't I right? They were. I mean, I know that. Pathology um, were, were certainly some members in there were said to have been very upset and angry about what happened. Mm-hmm. So even even areas of the hospital were shocked, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, we now know that um, the morgue staff, I suppose, just took it upon themselves. Um, they were not even aware that there was separate consent forms and information booklets um, available in the CUMH. So that in itself is 
is a big finding and that the morgue staff are not aware of consent forms. Yeah. So where where do we go from here? You're you're not finished yet, are you? No, I'm I'm hoping to get this tissue bill passed as soon as possible. I'm at a loss as to why there's such a lack of urgency around it. We were promised years ago um, when Mary Harney um, was had her position that it would be passed, and I know previous families that have been through this have fought so hard to get it passed, and we're still in this position where there is no legislation. So. I think my focus now is hopefully to put enough pressure on the government to get this legislation passed. But do you want clarification on the aspects that we just spoke about ourselves yeah. there? Yeah, I'd also be going back to the hospital asking all these questions and with my documents that I did receive from Freedom of Information that clearly state different, I will be presenting them to them and asking the necessary questions. Uh, there's not a day goes by that you, th- you don't think of, Lee. No, not not at all. And I suppose especially coming up to the Christmas time now, um, it's always hard, harder for us. And how is how is his twin, Lewis? Lewis is flying, yeah. He's, he's all excited now for Santa and we're going to visit in Santa. And yeah, it's just trying to be strong for him and put on a brave face, really, because, I mean, they know when you're upset, don't they? And Friday was such a big day for yeah. us receiving the report and we're just trying to protect him at all costs. Really. And how old is Lewis now? He's three. He'd be a very proud brother when he, when he grows up and knows what happened and how his mum and dad fought for him and his brother. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Um, I mean, that's all we want is for our two boys to be proud of us. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I hope I am doing really proud. You certainly are, Leona. You certainly are. And you're not finished yet. Do stay in touch, though, will you? Yeah, I will, of course. Okay, okay. Look after yourself and happy Christmas to you all. Thanks so much. Happy Christmas. You too. Bye, Leona. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Lines are open. You can pick up the phone on 0818104106. Text 0868104106. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106. Red FM. It's important that people stand up for their rights and they get heard. And sometimes it could be the rights of a loved one or indeed in the case of the Birminghams, their beautiful son who... Uh, uh, passed away at birth and of course we all know of the uh, disposal of the organs and we just spoke to Leona but it is important that people speak up um, just an update we had, a very, we had a good week last week with regards to interventions and helping people particularly elderly people over the past week maybe 10 days who are living alone or found themselves in distressful situations you may, you may recall a chat I had on air with Joanne it was only on the 20, it was only on the 15th of November so only a fortnight ago she had a sister um whose neighbour was shivering in bed at night, had no heating, um, and herself and her husband used to call over to check in on the elderly woman and bring food and stuff like that and make sure that she was okay. She was all alone in the world, as I say, had literally taken to the bed because there was no heating. Uh, It wasn't that they hadn't made interventions on behalf of the elderly woman, but it would appear that the HSE just didn't want to know. Uh, But her sister, Joanne's sister, wouldn't take it lying down, and she contacted the office of the Ombudsman. Uh, And indeed, um, the Ombudsman's office and staff within there have been listening uh, over the past week, perhaps 10 days, other types of calls that we've had on air like that and they got in touch with me saying we were listening to your conversation with Joanne on your show on the 15th and it was great to hear that our intervention had such a positive effect for that elderly lady 
And we're also delighted with, uh, you know, all of the work that was done by your programme and indeed members of Cork and the public in Cork are very generous and always looking out for their, their friends and relations or indeed their neighbours. But it just struck me at how quickly the office of the Ombudsman moved on this particular case, the case of intervening and, and helping. And within a matter of, oh, let me find out how quickly, enjoyed by uh, the Ombudsman, Jar Deering. Jar, good morning. And thank you so much for, for taking the call. How, how did you hear about this particular case? The neighbour contacted the office, was it? That's correct. The neighbour contacted the office, Neil. And our aim always is to get the complaint resolved, to get an action, to get an outcome for the complainant and I'm delighted to say that in that regard we resolved about 75% of our cases in three months or less and as you can see in that particular case and in other cases uh, it can happen within uh, days or hours because sometimes you know if we don't get the outcome very quickly it's of very little use I remember there was another case in Cork recently where a family was going to be made homeless um, because they were in homeless accommodation and the local authority was saying we won't provide this homeless accommodation any longer and uh, we intervened immediately and got an extension to try and get a good outcome. So sometimes uh, speed is, is critical. And in the case and of this particular, bear in mind, just tell me what you can about it, but what you managed to knock heads together. What do you do? What, what did you do in this case? Well, what we do is we contact the various people. We, we, we have liaison officers in each of the organisations, whether that's the HSE, the local authority, or a government department. So we're able to get in there quickly, and I suppose this is the thing while the, the public should be able to access these services themselves and should be able to get, it isn't always like that, unfortunately. Uh, but we can contact the relevant people and we can ask them to work with the other public body. And it's all about finding a resolution. And so are they obliged go- then, say, the HSC or a legal authority, um, are they obliged to, to take your call or respond to your email immediately? Um, Well, we would expect them to, let's put it that way. They are legally obliged to respond to us and to give us all of the files and all of the necessary paperwork. But we expect that to happen quickly. Now, there are other complaints, Neil, where, you know, the issue unfortunately has happened and the solution might not be as urgent, if you know what I mean. So we will give a little more time in a situation like that where, you know, uh, paperwork is necessary. So it really depends on the type of the complaint and the, and the, the impact that it's going to have on the member of the public. What did you manage to do to, for this elderly lady? Because I know that at one stage there was a public health nurse there, there was uh, ambulances, there was all sorts of different departments there. Well, again, it was, as you've outlined yourself, it was really about uh, getting people to work together and getting the services. Because actually, you know, most people will say to you that when they manage to access the public service, whether that's a hospital or whatever service it is, very often the people dealing with are, are helpful and they're empathetic and they do what they should do. The difficulty we find a lot of the time is around communication and around actually being able to manage that access. So, uh, And I suppose that's what we can bring to it. Now, I, I should state as well, Neil, it's important to state that if we don't get that cooperation and if we don't get a quick response, uh, I can investigate and I can actually issue uh, a decision which would include uh, right up to a recommendation. And the other thing that I can do is uh, systemic investigation. So if, if, for example, I find uh, that there are particular areas, and for example, one of the moment that I, I found particularly um, the co- complaints were having difficulty with was the HSE's cross-border treatment uh, and treatment abroad schemes. And I just found that the, the manner in which they were being administered, uh, to me anyway, looking at the complaints I was looking at, wasn't as accessible as it should be. Yeah. So I've initiated a full investigation into that and we will, in the next couple of months, we'll complete that investigation and we'll publish a report and there'll be recommendations 
in that report that we would expect the HSE to implement. Okay, and so, it's, it's the HSE has quite a number of complaints against them. You also mentioned uh, government departments, local authorities, TUSLA, the passport service, accessing disability allowances, things like that. They're, they're the, the lion's share of what you do, is that right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I heard you describe it yourself as that we have a very wide reach, reach and that we have. It's right across all government uh, public services and in fact we, we deal also with nursing homes and sometimes people are surprised with complaints against nursing homes. People are surprised about that but it's because the vast majority of nursing homes actually receive very considerable public funding. So for that reason we can also deal with complaints. But the vast majority of them in Cork are the city council and county council. Will there be housing issues, Joe? Yes, there are a huge amount of housing issues, uh, Neil, not surprisingly, particularly given, given, I suppose, the lack of access or the lack of availability, rather, of housing. But there are areas where we can um, make an intervention. For example, the housing assistance payment scheme uh, is something, again, uh, I've, I've identified that there are issues there that I'm not happy with, and we're carrying out an investigation into that. Uh, well, you got, you got a reimbursement for a woman of over five grand in treatment that she had to shell out for herself. That's correct. That was uh, under the treatment abroad scheme that That's I mentioned brilliant. as well. And I mean, That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And what's really important about those particular schemes, Neil, at the moment is, you know, we don't have access as quickly as we'd like or as we need in our own system here in Ireland. Yeah. So if there's, if there's treatment that people can get abroad, you know, people are in pain, people are suffering when they're in these situations. And to have to wait sometimes years is just not acceptable. So every effort should be made to facilitate people to have access to any of these schemes. Well, we're lucky we have your office. Just just finally, is that elderly woman now in, in a comfortable position? My understanding is that she is, yes, that, that, you know, that the services are now have now come through for her. That's my understanding. Well done. Fantastic. Listen, that's brilliant news. If people want to get in touch with the Ombudsman office, how can they do so? Uh, they can do so on ombudsman.ie. Um, that's, and we actually encourage people where they can to actually make complaints online. But we're also happy to take calls um, at 01-639-5600. Okay, I have that information. Ombudsman.ie is probably the best way to to, to get us. A great great, um, intervention on your behalf, particularly for that woman. And thank you for it so much, Ger. Appreciate you taking the call. All the best. Thanks very much, Neil. That's the Ombudsman, Ger Deering. Further details at www.ombudsman.ie. Back after 10. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Arming Gardee would be a great deterrent against serious crime, Neil, involving knives and guns. It's a different Ireland now, sadly, to what it was back in the 70s and 80s, says Kiron, with regards to Leo Varadkar saying that he would have no problem if the Garda Commissioner came to him and asked for the Garda Shikona to be armed. Uh, on the latest dog attack, and this one down east, when are people going to stop making pets out of dogs bread for fighting. The law needs to be enforced when it comes to muzzle wearing. Why would you want this stress in your life to keep those kind of dogs? It's like making pets out of lions. And on the gender pay gap, here's two interesting ones, both of them uh, from male listeners. Gender pay gap, you say? Answer me, yes, I was talking about the disparity between pay between men and women. Uh, Answer me this, if employers could get away with paying women less than men, why isn't everywhere hiring only women to save a few bob? 
it's nonsense. It's just a modern myth. Answer me that. Women don't want equality with jobs like bin men or sewer workers. They only want the rosy jobs. What do you think of that text? Text back yourself in response. 0868104106. And another one from Dara. The gender pay gap. God love you. I just heard you pushing it like it's actually a real thing. Please don't tell me you actually believe in that kind of garbage. Women overall earn less than men because when you apply life choices across the board, women choose family over their careers. It's utterly incredible how some people actually still cling to the idea of there being a gender pay gap, says Dara in Blarney. I would like women to respond to those texts, 086-8104-106. Pick up the phone on 0818-104-106. Barbie's been around since 1959. and I was thinking it was only maybe 20, 25 years. Did you see the latest Barbie? It's Divorce Me, Barbie. It's 129.99, and it doesn't come with Ken, but you get the car, the house, and everything else. (laughs) Boom, boom. Very seriously, though, uh, on my conversations uh, with Aoife from Primetime Investigates and indeed uh, Leona, I think this was a mistake by someone other than the pathology department in the CUH, the baby organ incineration. I think it may have been thrown out by someone else. My experience with the pathology department is second to none. I had a child in 1979 born perfectly and a few days later died of a cot death. Some of his tissues were retained by the pathology department as Beck's best practice. 35 years later, and as we get older, we think of what happens when we pass. So for certain reasons, I would not be able to be buried with my son. When the organ retention scandal broke, I went to the CUH to have the tissue returned to me. Pathology came down with the the tissue and my paperwork. And all of this is now in a drawer to be buried with me. When I die. And one or two more. My daughter lost her baby in January last year. She wasn't vaccinated and felt that they didn't properly take care of her because she refused to take the vaccine. We were never allowed to visit her. And when she eventually lost her baby, she had to do so alone. Her partner was only allowed in a few days later when they were given a little white coffin. But really no questions were ever answered. She's still so upset about it and the way it was handled. It seemed like there was absolutely no compassion for her because she wasn't vaccinated. And finally, do we know what years the baby organ retention was between? Uh, Unfortunately, our firstborn died in 2005 in the old Ernville in Cork and we had a post-mortem carried out. From our dealings with the HSC at the time, I would not 100% believe what they told us. Thank you. I don't have the exact dates, but if your child died in 2005 in the old Ernville, there certainly would not have been an issue with the plot in Curricopon there. And I hope that makes you rest a little bit easier. It was many years later that they came out and said that Curricopon was full and they didn't come up with an alternative burying plot. And that's why we had uh, baby uh, organs incinerated in Denmark but certainly not back as far as 2005. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. we got calls, texts, and emails after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818104106. Red FM. Keynes World Cup. Well, the clip I chose uh, from the weekend, of course, was Roy again on ITV doing his punditry thing and paying tribute and thanks 
to Cove Ramblers. We think this is more probably 88, 89, is it, of you, rather than 86. But this is Roy on his way to becoming the footballer he was. Uh, playing for a club who are celebrating their 100th anniversary yeah, this Cove, week. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, for obviously, I had one year at Cove Ramblers League of Ireland, which was brilliant. Great education for me, and they're 100 years old this year, so well done to them. Real help to me in my career. Yeah. And uh, I'm very grateful to them for that. Yeah. So they were, they were great days, yeah, were they? Brilliant. Yeah, I was very, very lucky. Uh, I've always said I've been very lucky in my career. Going to Cove for the year was a great help for me in terms of my uh, development. Brilliant. Some great nostalgia. Yeah, and I know they were delighted with the shout-out on the ITV. They really were. I was watching it on Twitter, and the amount of people that reacted when that little clip was shared. You know, just people in general, but also the people of Cove and the, and the club themselves. He never forgot, of course. He started with uh, Rockmount and went from Rockmount down to Cove Ramblers. And then, of course... Worldwide, as the fella says. So that's my chosen clip today. Now, more soccer today. <laughs> if you had enough of it yet. If there was no World Cup, there's no way we'd be watching games like South Korea and Ghana and stuff. God, if I could get the time back, I would erase the 100 minutes or so that I gave the England-USA game on Friday night. Added to the fact that I watched it on my own. I thought I was losing my mind. If I didn't have a box of fish and chips to at least entertain myself with, I'd have gone completely and utterly bizarre. But anyway, on it goes. And of course, big game tomorrow. But there are a number of Cork people who have travelled. And one of the luckiest people are Terry and Frankie Kearns, who are down in Qatar. Because apparently Terry has a brother there who's right front and centre, Kirby, who's lived in Qatar for like 18 years, his own TV production company. And he's given his brother and his niece the royal treatment by all accounts. Anyway, Terry joins me by phone. Terry, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? I'm good. Where are you from in Cork, pal? I'm from um, the best town in Ireland. I'm from York. So I just want to have a big shout out to everybody in York, first of all, Neil. And uh, say hello to my daughter, Neve, and um, son, Caleb, and also my grandchildren, Millie, and Keen, who are tuning in, and all, a lot of people from York. I'm from delighted. Just, just move around a little bit there, Terry, see if we can improve this WhatsApp line. Yeah. How long have you been there? I mean, you're getting to all of the matches and stuff, are you? Um, well, we so Frankie and I arrived from Australia on um, on the early hours of Saturday morning, and uh, we got the royal treatment, you know, uh, uh, thanks to Kirby um, at the at the airport, which is fantastic. Uh, got the VIP treatment in the fan, fan zones as well, so we're having a great time. Off to the England Wales game tomorrow night at the Australia Denmark uh, on the day after. Okay, so, so where are you staying? In, are you staying in Doha? Where are you staying? In a hotel or what? No, I'm not. So I'm still with Kirby, of course. Kirby's been here for 18 years, and um, yeah, he's he's giving, he's giving us the uh, the road treatment in his uh, beautiful apartment as well. Right. So, okay, let's let's first talk about the city and the fans and the socialising. Yep. Is it buzzing yep. or, or or what? It's absolutely buzzing, Neil. Uh, it's incredibly safe for a start. Um, the fans zones are fantastic. Everybody seems so friendly. Um, and just having a good time, and the city's beautiful and clean. It's it's uh, beautiful temperatures between twenty two and twenty five, which it is at this time of year. We've been here many times this time of year, and um, yeah, it's fantastic. It's uh, it's just great to see. Uh, I've been here to do many times, as I said, and never seen so many people here. Obviously, the shopping centres are full. Um, all the merchandise is going off. The stadiums are beautiful. Um, but yeah, it's incredibly safe. There's no trouble here whatsoever. And, uh, yeah, we're having a, we're having a, a roller. The people are on best behaviour, saying. Is that because the um, Qataris would take no nonsense, I wonder? 
Not at all. Um, um, no, I've been here many times before, as I said, Neil, and it's always been very, very safe. It's not. It's Qatar is not like Saudi Arabia. It's, it's actually a very, very safe place to be. Um, a very happy place to be. The people are always smiling. I mean, we're, we're all aware of the uh, human rights uh, issues. That it might be very, yeah, because people been, would say, yeah, it's a happy place to be unless you're a migrant worker or a woman yeah. or a gay person. Correct. Yeah. 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 Look, that's pretty fair. And. But these are things that the Italian government um, you see over here are really hard to put right. I mean, none of us agree with it. I mean, we can't, right? But uh, we know that it's an issue for the Qatari government and something that they're really working hard to actually improve on, yeah? Yeah, well, but, I, hope um, that it's, I hope that it's a work in progress that they get sorted faster, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it, yeah, exp- yeah. is it expensive yeah, look, there? Like, I mean, is it, can, can, like, we hear all sorts of yeah. talk that you can get a drink, you can't get a drink, all this kind of stuff. You can't have a pint yeah. watching a match. But What's the story? There's a bit of a, there's a lot of rubbish uh, spoken about that, uh, Neil, to be honest, because, like, it was in Russia four years ago. You can't take it to stadiums, right? But they have these fantastic um, fan zones where you can drink as much as you want, right? And, um, yeah. So that's not, you know, that's a bit of a myth, to be quite honest. But if you wanted to go um, into a pub, say, for instance, have a few pints and a bowl of wings or something, can you do all of that? You can do all that. There's actually 37 pubs in uh, in this district that we're in now. So, you know, you, you hear all these things, and it's not like other different countries. It's it's quite westernized here um, you know, compared to um, yeah. other countries in, in the in the Middle East. But um, yeah, yeah, but it's it's a massive social scene here. You know, it's a little bit underground uh, compared to what you have in Australia or, or Ireland. But um, what do you mean by that well, underground? You, you mean what is that like uh, socialising, clubbing, and stuff? Well, no, it's you know, I mean, the, 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 I, I don't, I don't mean that. I mean, there's there's a lot of pubs here. When I say underground, it's probably not well known outside outside of Qatar. But you know, I mean, when we want to go for a pint when the World Cup is not on. That's not an issue, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It never has been, you know? Yeah. But, uh, I mean, you don't have the amount of pubs that we have in Ireland, but no country in those. But the difference is you'd have women You'd have women in Irish pubs, right? You would have women in Irish pubs. You'd have women here too, yeah, you know? Yeah, You know, it's, um, yeah, it's not really what people think it is, you know? I actually love coming here. I always have. Um... Yeah, there's always lots to do here, even when the World Cup is not on. Um, would, the, yeah. would, the, would the local people be able to chat with you and tell you how they feel about living under a regime like that? Uh, well, probably not the, the migrant workers that you're talking about, but certainly the locals, absolutely, yeah. You know, I mean, that's been a topic of conversation since Qatar got the World Cup, you know. It's dubious how they got it, we all know that. Yeah. But is that their fault or is that Greece's fault? Right? Yeah, but um, or both. Yeah, but, but tell me, know, I mean, it's expensive. I mean, it's expensive, yeah. though, is it? It is expensive. To be quite honest, if you want to pay twenty-two dollars for or twenty-two dollars for a pint, which is quite expensive, wow. right? So, and what I'm noticing is that in all the other towns I've been here, we've got World Cup prices now. So you know, even higher again. You know, I tell you, and even higher again. So you know, but it's not astronomical. But it's still more expensive than it generally is. You know, I know, I know. I, I'd here, say you know? Irish fans are thin yeah. on the ground, though, are they? Uh, they are thin on the ground. I haven't met any to be quite honest. Oh, but, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I man. think they're all... Um, but they're all... Um, 
probably sulking at home because we, when, we, we didn't make it. When are we again. ever going to make a World Cup again? We're all wondering. So we can go to places like that. So yeah. I have to ask yeah. you about tomorrow yeah. night's match, the England-Wales match, yeah. only by virtue of the fact yeah. that English fans from time to time inverted commas, let themselves yeah. down. Yeah. Um, and we saw video footage yeah. over the weekend yeah. of the carry-on where Welsh and English fans yeah. were rioting and fighting in, I think, the Canaries. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah, no, I understand what you're saying, and that's always been an issue with, uh, with English football, but we're not seeing any of that here. We're not. And it's not, nothing to do with the regime, I don't think. I think it's just such a happy vibe here. And Frankie will tell you, Frankie's mum was born in England. She's going to be rooting for England tomorrow night. Um, but there, there really is no trouble. I haven't come across any trouble whatsoever uh, in the city uh, in the time I've been here. Yeah. And, been, and Kirby's been telling me, who will speak to shortly, who's, who's, um, it's been like that. Since the World Cup started, right? you're, you're not expecting so, um, it to kick off tomorrow in more ways than one, no? Uh, I'm absolutely not at all, Neil. I'm, I'm not, you know. And when you walk around the city, there's not a massive police presence either, you know. There's a lot of foreign police here, but you get that for any World Cup. Um, but really, I, I think the positive things to look at are the infrastructure and the stadiums. And the hospitality that they put in places. Yeah. Oh, I know. You really need to accentuate and, uh, the positive. I get that. Yeah. Where it's on yeah. now, and yeah. we need to make the yeah. most of it. I know we've got to get from yeah. start to finish yeah. into yeah. the yeah. fun. Yeah. But they're, they're, they're yeah. apparently, apparently, all of the stadiums are air conditioned, although they're open air. And I was reading somewhere last week that the fans are too cold yeah. in there. Is yeah. that true? Uh, I haven't heard that. Um, I'll find that out tomorrow night, and I'll come back to you about that one. But. <laughs> um, but look, the the, uh, the stadiums are uh, the state of the art, and it's just it's obviously unheard of that you have nine stadiums in one city. They've got a brand new metro, metro system, which is state of the art, the best in the world. It goes under the desert and links all these stadiums together, which is very exciting. Uh, Kirby and I will be getting on that t- tomorrow. Yeah. Um, Frankie, Frankie's liking that too because uh, the things with the shopping malls as well. So. Uh, yeah. You want to have deep pockets so, for yeah, socialising and shopping in Qatar, I'd say, wouldn't you? I want to have deep pockets for my daughter Frankie. That's for sure. <laughs> She's having a ball anyway. That's that's guaranteed. Have you, so, so have you been to a match yet? No, I haven't. So we only came in on Saturday morning. Um, so the first match tomorrow night uh, was in England Wales, and then Frankie Kirby and I are going to Australia and Denmark the night after, which is critical, obviously, for Australia. Yeah, uh, that one of the uh, Frankie and myself will be rooting for um, Australia. Yeah, um, I've also managed. To, uh, I'm arriving back in in Newell on the seventh of December, but I managed to secure um, a finals t- uh, ticket for the final through Kirby's company as well, which is fantastic. Oh my god! So I'm, I'm working out a way. Working on a way of coming back for a few days for the final, and then coming back to you all for a few weeks before heading back up. And tell me, who would you like to yeah. be in the final? <laughs> well, I can tell you, in my, my view, there's, there's four candidates. Uh, I spoke to a friend of mine more from this morning, he's in the same thing. So, Brazil, France. Uh, I would like to see Brazil, France, um, like the, 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 the final held in, in France, uh, in I think it was 90, yeah? Yeah. Um, so Spain are going to have um, some, some things to... to um, they're going to have an answer as well. And and maybe even England, and somebody mentioned, provided it, it doesn't go to penalties. <laughs> so either Brazil, <laughs> France... I think, I think that's a great choice. Brazil, France, or Brazil, yeah. England. Wouldn't that be amazing choices? 
it, it would be an amazing choice. It would, I mean, look, I think we'd all like to see England. We're all familiar with the with the English players. We would like to see England get to the World Cup. They've done a good side. They played brilliantly in the first game against Iran. Um, I thought they played amazing football. I think they. I think they remember shout. Um, Do we want them to win though? Tomorrow, Do we actually want them to win the World Cup? Because <laughs> well, they're all. When, when I say that here, everybody shakes their head. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. I'm, I'm, as I said, Frankie's beside me here. Her mum was born in England, so she, she wants England to win for sure. But I, I've got uh, shades of 66 that I've been listening to for since then, so <laughs> probably not. But, uh, oh, but Spain are going to be with themselves as well, you know. So, um, yeah, let's see what happens. But let's it's happens. Uh, very exciting. It's a great time to be here, Neil. It really is. Is there any chance of a quick chat with Kirby if he's not too busy there? Just a fast one. What yes, but uh, there is. Did you just say a quick hello to uh, daughter Frankie? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. She's there with Dad. Hi, Frankie. Hi. Are you getting the Hi. V are you getting the VIP treatment? Yeah, I am. You enjoying it? Yeah, it's great. It's really it's a great experience over here. It's, it's right. amazing. Yeah, I know you haven't been to any soccer uh, yet. Yeah, go for it. A quick, just a quick hi with him. Yes, Thanks. Yes, Take care. Mind yourself. Enjoy okay, the rest you. of your trip there, Terry. Kirby, good morning. Thank you, Neil. Good to speak to you. You too, pal. Hi, Take care. How are you, man? You've been, what, there, eight, 18 years, uh, is it? Oh, 18, short years, yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I came out here initially uh, for a two-year contract that I just completely forgot to leave. <laughs> Have you got your own TV production yeah. company there, then? I do, I do. I, you know, I've been lucky enough because I got here early when there wasn't a lot of um, a lot of action going on in Qatar and nobody could point it out in the map. Um, <laughs> I got here and I set up a, uh, I set up a at the time a very small production company where it was just me and uh, and now we're uh, the biggest production company in town. We've got uh, over sixty full time people and uh, uh, from all over the world. So and uh, and you know we've got the, the the biggest clients in the uh, country that we work with. Were you were you part then of the early days of Qatar being chosen for the World Cup? Did you have some kind of role in that? Because television would be very important. Uh, to it. Yes, yes. So we made we made the film that was played at the um, uh, at the bid. What? Um, really? And uh, yeah, and that. Um, so Resolution uh, secure, Films, your company, was part of the bid. And the and the video production yeah. at that bid was your work. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that goes back a long way now. And um, I, 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 at, at the time, Terry was in Australia and I was here, and uh, we were watching the, the the announcement on the TV. And of course, Australia also had a bid in at the same time. And I was telling him, "No," nah. I said, "It's going to be Qatar," and he said, "Are you joking me? Is that tiny little nation?" <laughs> you know, it's never going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I mean, was there? Listen, yeah. I don't know whether you can answer this question, and I know your work was central yeah. to it and all above board. But was it suspect yeah. though the bid? Oh, look, look, without a doubt, you know, I mean, uh, just get, you know, talk about FIFA, FIFA, you know, they're also my clients, but they're uh, they're uh, <laughs> how how can I put this? Uh, um, everyone gives a bag of cash and uh, it's the biggest bag of cash wins today and Qatar have the kind of money that uh, were, 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 you know was able to pay the right people yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 it happened without a doubt yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. and that's all yeah. history now I suppose and, 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 and hopefully FIFA have cleaned their act up you know 
Yeah, yeah, I, exactly. I mean, it, it, and it is like, it, it always does go to the highest bidder, you know, the, the, those with the deepest pockets. Um, and it just so happened that it, it was, uh, you know, it was Qatar at the time. It was Qatar um, and Russia at the uh, time, it, remember? It, it, yeah, that's right. Uh, well, no, uh, it had just, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. They both, uh, same, they, bit, they, yeah, they, same they day. Both yeah. won their announcement at the same time. Yeah. Um, but, like, you know, put it this way, um, if, uh, if Qatar didn't uh, um, buy it, somebody else would have, you know, because that's uh, that's the way FIFA works. And have you any thoughts then on the criticism of, of Qatar and the way it treats, again, I said this to, to your brother there, when it comes to migrant workers, yeah. women's rights? I do, I, I do, I, I, I do indeed. You know, I mean, you know, there isn't a country out there in the world that you can't point a finger at and find something wrong with, you know. Um, in It's in the States in four years' time, you know. We're going to talk about 25% of the world's population are in prison, you know, and, uh, and 70% of them are black. And, yeah, I know. You know police yeah. shootings and all that yeah. kind of stuff, you know. I mean, yeah. there, there's plenty of things you can't talk about. Um, what, I, what I will say about the workers' rights here is that the winning of the World Cup has been a very positive thing for the development of the country. Mm. And it has forced Qatar to change the way things are done. Because um, they've had, because they've had their, dirty li- their dirty laundry washed in public, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. They've got the, the eyes of the whole world are, are, are watching them. Um, and, uh, and look, it's happening slower than everybody would like. But uh, it's still, they've taken huge positive steps in the right direction in the last, um, uh, you know, in the last eight years. They really have. It yeah. was a, it was a lot more, uh, you know, a lot more to dread uh, when I got here first. But, so you've uh, seen so well, much in eight years. Yeah, you really, yeah. Uh, you you spoke to the migrants. Yeah, yeah, and, and and also, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I um, uh, all the time, all the time. I mean, what, obviously, one of the problems. Is uh, communication skills because uh, a lot of people um, don't speak English as a first language. So but are they paid shock and way? I mean, oh. so there's a stat. I know I'm probably dwelling on it too much, but six and a half thousand migrant yeah. workers: India, Pakistan, Nepal, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, mm. all died between the bid being announced and the awarding uh, of the tournament. Yeah. Now, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, uh, that figure is not quite correct, and I'll tell you why. Uh, and I'm not backing up the, the uh, you know, migrant rights abuses at all. But that figure is the entire population of the migrant uh, workers in Qatar. That includes me. That includes my family. That includes all my friends, all the people working at the film company. It's not the people working on the building side. And it's also... Well, it's a, guard, it's a quote figures. from The Guardian, so I'm just, I'm just quoting what The exactly, Guardian published. Exactly. No, 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 100%. It, uh, but if you read into the small print of what they said, they said over nine and a half years, six and a half thousand people, migrant workers have died in Qatar. Now, that's probably true. But however, they included natural deaths, uh, people getting hit by motor cars. Uh, you know, people dying of a heart attack, people dying of old age. And mm. um, so you can dress it up to make it look like six and a half thousand people died building the stadiums. But, it, that, uh, you know, it's simply not true. It mm. isn't. Mm. Um, and yeah. you sound something, but, you know, uh, if you look into it, uh, it they, they, they don't say uh, that they were 
Uh, that, that there were construction workers. Okay, okay. Well, we won't dwell on that uh, anymore. I mean, because we could yeah, be all morning yeah, talking yeah. about minimum wage and people have been paid yeah, a, yeah, yeah, a yeah, dollar yeah. an hour and, and, yeah. and stuff like that. But it's home for you now for the last 18 years. But if it's 25 degrees there now, how do you cope with the intense heat of the height of the summer? Uh, well, uh, I do, uh, most of the time I don't. I get out for the, the extreme heat. But when I am here, uh, you tend to go from a, um, an air-conditioned studio to an air-conditioned office to an air-conditioned car to an air-conditioned apartment, you know. So <laughs> yeah, jumping you between uh, air-conditioning, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you're not, you know, you're not out in that weather. It's, 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 it's impossible. I mean, they, they just quickly getting back to the migrant workers again, there's, there's a rule here that nobody works um, after 11 a.m. and they don't start again till 4 in the afternoon. So it gets everyone out of the midnight heat, midday heat. If you, if you look out any of the windows here in Qatar, the, the place is empty uh, during those hours because it is really inhospitable, I guess. It's the best word I could use. Well, it's amazing the role you played in the awarding of the World Cup to Qatar, in fairness. what are you? So what would you be working at across the World Cup? Um, so we, we, we have a number of big clients. FIFA are, are one of our biggest clients. So we've made all the introductory films with FIFA. Um, uh, we also have a crew uh, following Ilfantino around as his uh, personal uh, film and television crew. So all his interviews, all his uh, pieces of camera, that kind of stuff. Uh, we film a lot at the stadiums. Um, uh, we film a lot, you know, the teams coming and going. Um, that's just FIFA. And then we, we have other clients as well. We we do a lot of work with the Discovery Channel. Amazing. Um, and it's then amazing. a lot of the... Yeah. yeah, it's just amazing yeah, where you'll so. find Irish people working and digging in and making oh, their homes it, overseas. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And uh, I mean, there is, a, the, Terry hasn't met to be, there is a bit of an Irish community here. Um, <laughs> what do you do, play uh, hurling? But a lot, <laughs> but a lot of, a, a lot of them wouldn't. I wouldn't be in the same circle as a lot of them because they'd be more on the construction side of yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do meet them. I do meet them at uh, gatherings that you know the the embassy will have. Or what whatever. do you miss from home, though? Yeah. Eighteen years away. Uh, Barry's tea. <laughs> Can't get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. Uh, and the fresh air, you know, I mean, the, because Qatar has been a construction site for the last 20 years, there can be a lot of dust in the air and uh, <laughs> and, and because, it's, you know, there's not that much wind here. It, it's, so uh, a good cup of Barry's tea and a so. good gulp of fresh air. You're giving the brother the royal treatment, I hear, Frankie. Sitting out on the balcony, sitting out on the balcony in Yall with a, 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 a cup Sorry. of tea and breathing in that fresh air. I'm just, uh, saying, I'm just I mean. saying there, Kirby, that you're giving Frankie and Terry the royal treatment there. Tickets for all of the show, tickets for all of the, all of the yeah, matches. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, well, not all the, all the matches, but uh, definitely a good percentage of them. And, uh, and I've got more, I've got more family coming out as well. So, uh, you know, so we'll have to, you know, we'll have a full house once the tournament kicks off in earnest. Well, listen, a big shout out to everybody back in you all then, right? Thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. You want me to name them? <laughs> How many are there? <laughs> 
There's about 8,000. No. Well, we're good. We're good. All right, man. Well, listen, look after yourselves and have a great time with the family. And congratulations on your success there and the role that you played in the World Cup. Fair play to you. Well done. Thank you kindly, Neil. All right, Kirby, look after yourself. Take care to Kirby and to Terry and to Frankie Kearns down in Qatar. Fair play to them. It's amazing the way you'll find Irish people, as I say, working, digging in and living and making a difference. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104106. Red FM. I want to catch up with uh, some emails and texts in a few minutes, uh, but just uh, another story that uh, was uh, broken on, on Lee said over the past 24 hours, and this was an accident around about uh, 11 o'clock last night. I was reading from the Echo this morning that a teenager's in hospital with serious injuries following the crash happened on Saturday night, and the Guardian are looking for witnesses. They call it a horror two-car crash that occurred at Fairhill at around about 11 o'clock. Now, the papers were reporting that the driver of one of the cars, a man in his late teens, was taken to hospital, treated with serious injuries. The second car had a female in her 30s and a man in his 60s also taken to the CUH. Their injuries are not thought to be life-threatening, but the scene's been examined, it's been reopened and everything, but the Guardian are looking for witnesses to it. Um, so uh, that's the backstory to this. But John just wanted to clarify a couple of points and he joins me by phone. John, good morning. Hi, old things, mate. I'm good. Uh, so this is Saturday night. We know that to be the case. Around about 11 o'clock on that night, Saturday night, yeah? Um, yeah, uh, Neil, I'm not on just to comment on uh, you know who was in the right or who was in the wrong. I know that. It's just that, yeah. it's just that all the information that's out in the, um, in the articles that are online and the newspapers are all wrong. It's actually the, um, the, the young fella is actually not a, is after being discharged from hospital and it was the, um, the 30 year old woman that was actually, they took two and a half hours to, to call her out of the car, much the Corkby and other things are reporting that it was the the, the eighteen year olds that, that was the driver of the, the car, car, man in his late teens, has serious injury. You're saying that's not right? No, that's not that's not right at all. It's a uh, the girl is actually still in hospital and is going to surgery when the the, the, the teen is after being discharged later that night. You know. Okay, so this female was in the other car with another man. She was, she was, she, yeah, she was in the. She's thirty year old. She was in the. She was in the car with a with a sixty year old man, and um, she had to be out of the car. It, it, was, it took him two, two and a half hours to call her out. Wow! And how do you know all of so, this? Were, do, were you an eyewitness, or do you know anybody? I, I wasn't. I wasn't an eyewitness. I didn't see. I can't comment on what happened and how, how the crash happened. It's not my place to to comment on that at all. But I was at the scene. I was at the scene afterwards. You no, know, I seen everything that's going on. You know that went on afterwards. You, you, know? you were there for the rescue and that. I was there for. I was there for the rescue and yeah. Okay, because they described it as did, the talk, a horror the crash. Year, was it, it was good? unbelievable, but I can confirm as well that the thirty-year-old like uh, have very bad injuries, and she's actually going for surgery. Like you know, yeah. So, but it's just kind of like it's when you're looking at things online, like you know, it's completely uh, uh, wrong information what they're reporting. And it's you know? not the driver on his own, the the young man and his team. No, like I re- for car. example, for example, I read that I I'm reading on the copy or there that. The, the teen was uh, was badly trapped in the car and had to be cut out. Complete, it's it's wrong. Like it was the it was the thirty year olds. That's the it took two and a half hours. Sure, I, I was looking at it like you know. You no idea so, why it happened. Is it an open stretch of road or, or what? 
it's by the roundabout up by up by um, up by Joyce. He's called, but I I can comment on yeah. on how it happened because uh, it's probably an ongoing investigation, you know. Yeah. But it's just the, the, what I'm after telling you know is facts, you know. Yeah. Like it, the the thirty year old, and I can confirm as well that the the man, uh, the sixty year old man, was actually brought back into hospital again a while ago. All right. Okay. Okay. So yeah. um, it was the people that were, that were in the white car were were, were were the ones that were very badly injured. You know. Okay. So the driver of the other car, this this young well, I'm man. I'm not saying I'm not saying no I'm not saying no Neil that the man weren't injured. I wish everyone to know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You know, like it, 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 it was a horrible thing to look at and all that. But it's just that I can just clarify that what thing why was said Good on man. if you know news things that was wrong. Good man. Thank you for that, John. Appreciate you updating. Um, and no, do, help, do help Guardian any way you can. I know you say you came upon it afterwards, but then again, might be worth giving them a oh, shout. There, was, there was loads of people around. I didn't, I didn't see what happened. It wouldn't right. be my place to comment on how the crash happened. All right, you know? John, fair play to you. Thanks no, so much. We Thank wish you. everybody bye, well bye, and bye, hope bye. that everybody recovers from their injuries, serious and all, as they would appear to be. When I was talking uh, on air the back end of last week, we were talking about people in the city and one of the conversations happened to be three different uh, individuals um, um it's going to be Marlborough Street, if I'm, if I'm right about this, the street where the Toman Bar is, and there's a couple of restaurants, and right by the side of the Toman, the outside of it, where people can have an outdoor drink and a bit of food, they were just behind the partition. Uh, on the far side of the partition, there were three people shooting up, and there was a chap on air with me saying that the girl approached him looking for three euro, and people were critical of the city and what they have to put up with and what they have to observe. Got a very interesting text, though, um, and this is from the heart, from somebody who's lived through heroin addiction. And she says, unless you've lived addiction, you don't realize, besides the trap of addiction, the heroin they use becomes their food, their heat, their energy and their security blanket when on the streets. That point has been made in response to a question that I asked on Friday as to would you give money to an addict on the street knowing that it won't be spent on food, but it will probably be spent on heroin and that they're chasing a heroin addiction that could cost them many hundreds of euro a week. I was making the case of a couple who were arrested in the middle of a burglary, just after a burglary. One, I think, had a heroin habit of 2,100 euro a week and the other had to find 2,500 euro a week, two and a half grand a week. They had to find that by hell or high water just to feed the addiction. Um, Anyway, that uh, heroin becomes their food, their heat, their energy and their security blanket when on the streets. You don't feel cold as much as a normal person. And I didn't when I used heroin. You don't feel as hungry as a normal person. And you don't have energy to get up and do anything like a normal person. Heroin becomes so much more than a high. If you don't get your fix and you're sick, you physically can't do anything, even to the point of not being able to stand up. It's a vicious circle. And the only beneficiaries are those at the top of the chain. The ones you see on the street make these people further up rich. Because if they don't have the fix, they can function like a normal person. The sickness is a sickness that is so bad, people are genuinely afraid to be sick. There's a lot more to it than what Google tells you with regards to the withdrawals. I'm off heroin now two years. I don't go to anyone for help, and I never did. Never told my parents, as I was afraid my children would be taken off me. I just went cold turkey, which I wouldn't recommend to anyone. It's not easy. You have to be very strong mentally and physically 
to be able to do so. And that came into me on Friday morning for somebody who didn't want to go on air for fear of being identified and known to family and friends. And I appreciate that. But I would love to know more about, um, you know, the time you had coming off heroin, you know, and uh, how long that took and exactly how difficult it was to go cold turkey on your own. How did you do it? How did you do it unbeknownst to people? Where did you take yourself? How did you exist with family and friends and children while going through it? And what has life been like afterwards now that you're clean and in recovery? So if you get an opportunity to come back to me again, that would be lovely. Uh, you can just text me again with an update to the story. Text 0868104106. But, you know, people's kindness is great. But unkindness then is horrific when you hear of stories like this email that came in to me over the weekend. I hope you don't mind me emailing in, but I just want to ask people to be kind to each other, especially at this time of the year. No one knows what anyone is going through in their lives at any time. The reason I'm asking you this is because of something that happened to me on Friday. So I hope it's okay to share it with you and your listeners. Please don't give out my details. I'd be embarrassed for my children to know this is how I feel. And this is the substance of the email, although I think that maybe, um, I think at least your daughter has an idea because you have a beautiful daughter who really, in her own way, came to your aid. Here's the story. I took my child, age 13, on a rare day out to Mahan, looking at the sales on Friday, being Black Friday. Uh, Must have been very excited about that. We rarely go out as I don't get much time to go anywhere due to issues one of my other children has. So I'm normally at home. But I felt my 13-year-old needed a day out. So off we went to Mahan for Black Friday. All was going well. We were enjoying our day until we went to get food. We happened to be at one of the food counters upstairs the same time as four young women. I had ordered and was waiting for the food when I heard one of these women, young women, look at me and comment on a facial disfigurement I have. Her friends with her looked at me And all laughed, which made me feel absolutely awful. I didn't react as I knew it would upset my child who was standing right beside me. But I did look at the girl who made the comment, almost silently, begging her to stop. But she didn't. Anyway, we eventually found a seat and my child ate her food quietly. But the women who made the comment sat at a seat near us and continued to stare and to laugh I couldn't move seats as there wasn't any available and I didn't want to draw any more attention to it and upset my child. We left my food and most of my child's food and left as quickly as we could as I couldn't take any more and I was getting very teary-eyed. My child, my daughter, noticed this but didn't comment. She just said, come on, mum, I've had enough to eat. Isn't that heartbreaking? I tried to make the best of the rest of our time in the shopping centre, but honestly, I couldn't wait to get out of there. I felt so bad. I'm annoyed at myself for allowing them to get me to get at me so much as much as they did. They don't know my circumstances. They don't know what has happened in my life to look like I do. They don't know the hurt they cause me. They have beauty on their side and confidence to walk around and not have nasty comments thrown at them. I hope life will always be kind to them. But if it happened, if they happen to be listening to this, please, please stop and think of others. No one has the right to ridicule anyone. I have brought my children up to know that you never look down on anyone unless you are helping them up. Please be kind. It costs nothing. 
A smile can make someone's day, but a hurtful word can cut so deep. Thank you for listening. Yeah, and I was so angry when I read that for the first time. I really and truly was. I mean, you could have, you could put it down to the immaturity of youth, but I wouldn't. You know, I just wouldn't because whatever way they were braired, whatever way that they were brought up was the wrong way, the bad way. I'd love to know what you guys would have done in a situation like that. Would you, if you were that mother, said it to them, called them out? Um, because if you say yes, I can understand why. Uh, would you have got angry? got into a rage, asked them, how dare you? Who do you think you are? Why do you behave like that? Why are you treating me like that? Would you have called security? And if you say yes to that, you'd still be right and have them thrown out. Do they need to be taught a lesson? If you say yes to that, then again, you would be right. But you can't put it down to the immaturity of youth. And you can only hope that as they grow older and life throws a few curve balls at them, they might think back to the upset they caused that woman, not just to her, but to our beautiful daughter, who was so kind to her mother in that circumstance. Anyway, guys, I'd love to get your thoughts on it because I was absolutely raging to the point that I would love to tear their heads off. Not that you can do that, but you know what I'm saying. I'm not saying physically, but that's the feeling. How dare they treat anybody like that and to cause so much upset on such a beautiful, beautiful day. Text 0868104106. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Friendable Show Right, get back to my phone lines, text calls and comments in a few minutes time, a little bit of housekeeping Starting the week, it's Monday morning so Offbeat Donuts are on board again today, if you'd like to give me a good reason, text 0868 why I should send you a box of at least a dozen donuts perhaps even more and I also hear tell that Offbeat Donuts have Christmas donuts available at their shop now as well, and that's the new shop recently opened at French Church Street, including Christmas gingerbread, caramel Rudolph, white toffee crispy, and they're even delivering directly to your office at home, so you can get in touch with them um, online or else just call in there and away you go. But we have a box to give away and the Red Patrollers will deliver it this lunchtime. So text who you are and where you are to 0868104106 and why you deserve it. As well as that, our five-star giveaway enters its fourth week. This is week four in association with Soundstore. It's a €10,000 prize. I'll open the phone lines a little bit later if you're lucky enough to get on. You have five guesses. I have to say, again, I can't reiterate this strongly enough. You must get all five voices in the correct order. If you get them all mixed up and jumbled, I'm telling you now, and I've said it in the past, you will not win. It's got to be in the right order. Have a listen. I love Corks. Red FM. I love Corks. Red FM. All five in the correct order when I open the phone lines. And, of course, our, our thoughts turn to Christmas trees. And Kiernan's Garden Centre have given me Christmas trees to give away every day this week. We have two trees to give away. And of course, Kiernan's Garden Centre are at Douglas Court Shopping Centre. They've got the noble fir Christmas trees of all sizes. They've got the wreaths and the stands and the Christmas accessories and everything you need at Kiernan's Garden Centre. You can also check them out online, kiernansgardencentre.ie. And of course, free parking makes all the difference. Douglas Court Shopping Centre. So, we will be playing a Christmas song sometime between now and midday today. Caller Tree and Caller Turty tree. You get it? That's my crazy sense of humour or lack of it, as in garden uh, centre Christmas trees. 
caller 3 and caller 33 when you hear the Christmas song and you will sometime between now and midday pick up the phone on 0818104106 and oh yes we will oh no you won't oh yes I will I've got uh, Panto tickets to give away right across the week. Family passes for four of you to go to the December 20th showing of Sleeping Beauty at the Cork Opera House. Don't talk to me about the toy show. We've got more prizes and presents to give away than ever before. So Christmas trees and Panto tickets and lots more besides. Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. To be fair, you are right. Did you not see the Europeans, as in Belgium, kick off at the weekend after their defeat to Morocco? No English involved there. To be fair, I did. About 500 of them, and there was riot police and all involved in it after the defeat. So you are right. It's not anything exclusive to um, uh, the English soccer fans. But then again, we would be on alert with regards to the England-Welsh game tomorrow on the basis of what I saw in the Canaries. Around 100 police officers were mobilised while residents were warned to avoid certain areas uh, following that uh, defeat of Morocco. Metro stations were closed, streets sealed off to limit the spread of the violence. So you are right. Text 0868104106. Back to that email. Um, and you know what? Um, it's like that, that ship has sailed now with these four young women as the emailer uh, describes that she was bullied in a horrific way. In fact, a texter says, please give that woman a treat for her and her daughter, Neil. What awful ignorance. That really sums it up, just absolute ignorance. Um, in hindsight, and hindsight is a wonderful thing, it would have been a great idea, but I suppose you were so upset at the time, you just were so mortified by how you were being treated, you just wanted to get out of there. I thought your daughter behaved beautifully, coming to your aid and your assistance. What a beautifully rare daughter you have. But if a security guard had been alerted to how you were treated by these four young thugs, four female thugs, bullies, um, then they would have been barred from Maham Point. And at least that would have been some kind of a consolation. that You would know that these four would never, ever be allowed to dark. Because there's security down there. And I'm assuming security can do their job if they have people barred and they try and get back in again, that they would be denied the right to ever set foot on the premises again. I'm just that angry about it. To anybody with children, you can understand how the mother must have felt, but also her daughter. Anita, good morning. Good morning. What do you make of it? When I, read I it am out? actually feeling sick, having heard it. Mm. Mm. And I will add low life, despicable people to what you call them. Yeah, yeah. I... If I had be, if I was that lady, I would definitely have had them removed. Totally, but sure she was in shock. She was probably mortified. Uh, yeah. The last you thing on her mind was sitting there, attracting even more attention to her. I understand. Horrible. Yeah. Hor- I, I, I'm a, as I said, I am feeling sick in my tummy from yeah. from the thought of it. Yeah. Well, back in yeah. the old days, we would call them common, rough, and rude. Uh, not, not good enough. Better than they're worse than that. Mm, yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm. You know, um, the lady said they were young women. She has a. She describes it for people who came late. A facial disfigurement. She found yeah. herself out for a day yeah. down at the sales. It was Black yeah. Friday in Maham Point, right? And yeah. they had a grand old time till they went up to the food area and. Um, uh, all sorts of people, of course, all walks of life, 
gather for food, the desirables and clearly the undesirables. She happened to be at the queue with the undesirables. They started laughing and mocking and commenting on her facial disfigurement. They actually followed her and sat at the table next to her and continued to laugh and to joke and to stare. So Mammy left her food and her daughter said, Ma'am, I've had enough to eat and they left. Dreadful, dreadful. You know, those these young um, individuals, uh, they don't know what's ahead of them themselves in the, in the line of, you know, something happening to them. Correct. And if they find themselves in the same situation, they'll know exactly what people like me are saying. Like, they're, they're low-life, young low-life, despicable individuals. Now... This this hits home with you regarding your son, doesn't it? It does, it does. But you know, I I, I won't say any more about that. He had a, a bit of an accident and had, you know, went through life uh, until he got a bit of sense and was able to cope with it. I would say, yeah, from yeah. people from people his own age, you know. And do you and mind me dwelling on it at all? Because I know you you did chat to the lads about the yeah. accident that he had. I did tell Seamus on right. Yeah. Um. I didn't want to come on, but I, I'm yeah. really mad with these young people. You know, they're a waste of space. Did your and son have, I mean, you don't have to answer, but did, because of what happened and slight disfigurement, he lost his eye. Did, did, he, mm-hmm. did he get grief because of that growing up then? Yes, with, <clears throat> excuse me, with children his own age in school as he got a bit older, you know. That was a long time ago, though. I was, I was, I was hoping that that would change, you know. And it has. I mean, we can't just say that all young people are idiots or behave like this. No, this is just... No, but them, they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Actually, you know, they'll, they'll find out in time. But, you know, I, I'm just trying to imagine that lady trying to have a bit man and these youngsters. And, they had that, and there's a lot of better things they could be doing with their time. Amongst them minding their own damn business. Minding their own damn business. But get on and do something useful. If you can, if She's, you know what the mean. She says, I'm annoyed at myself for allowing them to get to me so much, but they did. But they, they don't know my too. I'm feeling sick in my tummy yes. and I'm trying to have my breakfast. I know, I know. You know, I know. Uh, just the thought of it. I am so sorry for that woman. But I wonder if she has to put up with that a lot because of a, as she describes, a facial has. disfigurement. And you know, people these youngsters looking, people now, staring. they're probably, God, dressed to kill, I suppose you could say. Well, she said they were lucky to have beauty on their side. Well, no, beauty to me doesn't mean a thing. That's right. And that's yeah. proof of it. That's right. Total proof of it. Yeah, total, total proof, proof of beauty. What should, she, what should she have done differently? Well, I think she should have had them removed. And if it ever, if, if it ever happens again, she should do exactly that. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, 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 def- I well, I, I'm in my 80s now. Mm. But I would, I would certainly have the likes of those individuals removed from being even near me. Yeah, and barred and never allowed darken the door of that establishment yeah, again. Good point. There, no matter what, they're Maybe talking. they would, but, um, you know, I don't know how old they are. She describes them as young women. That could be anything from, what young would that be? Young women. I, I couldn't call them women. Yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't. 
Well, there you go. To me, is yeah. there any chance of a, of a paddy box for my grandchildren in Australia? I'll tell you what, I'll put you back on hold and get some details of who's in Australia, all right? And we'll see what mm-hmm. we can do. Just give me the details of it. I need to be fair to everybody, but thank you, Anita. Meanwhile, just give me the details in the background or at least chat to the lads. She's back. Uh, Anita's back to you there. She's got somebody in Australia. We'll get some more details on that and see what we can do. Um, just on this just on this topic with regards to somebody saying, please give this woman and a daughter a treat. D- that would be quite easy for me to do if she wants to go back again to Mahampa. I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. Um, a very good relation with O'Brien's, the sandwich bars and the, the, um, the restaurants uh, around the city and a particularly good relationship with O'Brien's in Maham Point. And I know the two lads would have absolutely no problem with me inviting that woman and her daughter or maybe another couple of family members with them back down to Maham Point into O'Brien's uh, restaurant for a bit of lunch. Um, um, you know, they do fabulous sandwiches and wraps and rolls and salads and the most beautiful fresh soups and teas and coffees and everything at O'Brien's. So I don't think I'm out of line in saying you'll be very welcome to go back there. Um, compliments of ourselves and O'Brien's. I hope you're listening, uh, dear kind lady. If you're not, I'll get in touch with you later on, just letting you know about that. And um, if there's anybody else down in Maham Point that wants to come on board as well and try and make good for the experience that she went through, then I'm listening. Get in touch with me. Email neil at redfm.ie. It was an horrific thing that happened. Louise O'Dwyer is a stylist and image consultant. Louise, good morning. Good morning, Neil. What do you make of a story like that, the the hurt and the cruelty of people to a woman with a facial disfigurement? Well, look, it's disgusting, but I'm not surprised. Why? Because we are living in times that are all image-oriented and visual. And young girls are sexualized and, you know, they're even wearing the slinky clothes that there you know that the pop stars are wearing and stuff and I probably sound really old-fashioned in saying that but uh, that's just how it is. Imperfections Um, are no longer tolerated hence photoshopping. Absolutely we have apps to correct everything but you know from the amount of both men and women that I deal with on a daily basis I can definitely say this that somebody who makes a point of noticing an imperfection in somebody else has a really low self-esteem themselves because if you think about it if you're really happy you're actually kind of happy for everybody i don't know know i don't know about that i think they probably think that they're so perfect you know i mean Uh, i we forgive me now you may know more about this than me but i think we put labels on everything ah that's a self-esteem issue could they just not be common rough rude nasty and ignorant for a change Yes, of course, absolutely. But to to comment on it and make somebody feel that uncomfortable, it comes from a much deeper place than just, we'll say, just staring at somebody. If you're going to go beyond staring and you're actually going to comment and you know that you're making the person feel uncomfortable, then that's a serious issue that you have yourself. Or else it's something that maybe you grew up with. I mean, I come across people all the time that would be, you know, moms that would be really into how they look. And then I go through 10 years with them and they may end up, unfortunately, with um, a child that has an eating disorder because so much focus in the house growing up was about food or not eating or how you look. <sighs> that, you mean that's intergenerational and it's passed on to the Absolutely, child? Absolutely, yeah. So oh it, it's, God. you know, the, these are the we have to be so careful with the conversations that we have in front of our kids or how past remarkable 
that we can be. And unfortunately, it is kind of intrinsic in, in Irish society. We we have a wonderful sense of humour and it was something I really missed when um, I lived in America. But we can also, on the other side of that, we can be really past remarkable. And what, like, look at the state of her, look at what she's wearing, look at the state of her hair, makeup's all over yeah. the place. Is that, is that like... There's an example here of girls who can be very hurtful in a very nasty way. But is it predominantly women or, or men as bad? Um, I think men do it in, in men do it in different ways. Maybe they're not as brash about it or not as open about it. Um, and, you know, some will say comedians will go as far to say that you know, one man will try and trump another man because, you know, by having a newer or a more powerful car or yeah. all the rest of it. Yeah. Women, we, for us, it tends to be, a lot of the time, our labels, our hair, our skin, our Botox. I have been offered Botox, and this is no exaggeration, I'd say at least 15 times for free to talk about it and write about it. Isn't that incredible? The whole aesthetic industry has gone through the roof, though, Louise. Uh, I have. I just refused it every time because I have a 26-year-old daughter. I want to look like her mother. I'm 50 years of age. I want to look like her mum. I don't want to be one of these women that is competing with my 26-year-old daughter. You, you know saw I mean? the photo sh- shoots with uh, Heidi Klum and her daughter. That, that was mm. quite alarming. Maybe that's me. Maybe I'm just too old-fashioned. I can't remember the daughter's name. No, you're not. Uh, no, no, It just you're seemed not. weird it's to me that you'd be in a bikini photo shoot with a grown daughter. I don't know. Maybe it's none of my business. I I just think our priorities have changed and like I'm involved in a a business also the Institute of Professional Development and one of the things that I've done from a neuroscience perspective and I've just come out of a huge study um, in that as well but I've tracked um, and studied people who have risen to the top of their game, whether it's in sports or business, the business world or whatever, but people who have started nowhere and then they've just gone all the way to the top and they've stayed at the top for a significant length of time. And one of the things, when you sit and speak with all of these people, during that process, they all have a massive priority shift. Initially, it may have been to go after the money or initially it may have been an ego thing. But the people that get to the top and stay at the top are the ones who want to spread it around a little bit or help the next guy up. Always? No, not always. But the ones that last at the top a lot, they kind of want to... um, but yeah, spread it around a bit because they realise what it can be very isolating for but some sh- of these okay. people. But should we have a worry at a booming aesthetic industry where women are being bombarded with offers and Botox and filler and all sorts of corrective stuff that they can do just to look perfect? And uh, have women become, and maybe men as well, slaves to it that if they don't do it, everybody else is and they'll be left behind? Oh, absolutely. I know people who have taken out credit union loans and maxed out their credit cards to do it. I mean, that's really sad, (laughs) you know, um, and I I can't see that changing. You really need to be very strong in yourself. And I suppose for years and years, um, people aged and they aged naturally. Now it's like there's this thing to fight aging. So they will inject and pump into themselves things that who knows down the road what the side effects will be um, and, and you also have to remember with 
the cosmetic industry, like a lot of other industries, when there's testing done or when there's studies done, a lot of the time they fund their own studies. So they will pick out whichever results that they will boost um, their ratings, shall we say, and make them look better. So, when, you, um, when you're on that treadmill, you you don't get off it, is it? But, no, is there, are the consequences yeah. if you stop? Well, the thing is, somebody approached me recently and said, you know, could I recommend a plastic surgeon for um, th- their face, basically? And I said, so, okay, I'm sure I get a name from, you know, somebody that I, I go see. Um, but you start on your face, then you have to do your neck. Then you have to do, you know, the top of your cleavage. Then you have, you know, then your hands look older. It, it's like. But it, was this was right? this because of as as the email originally said to me because of facial disfigurement no. or was it because of an act? No, just didn't like the look of a part of their face. Is it? No, it was just natural aging. Okay, yeah. The person just... was forty five and didn't want to look forty five anymore, or what? So you see, this is part of the problem. You know, um, like. I have no problem with being 50. I have no problem with looking 50. But I think more women need to be encouraged to do the absolute most and the best with themselves in a natural way. There's loads of tricks and things that, you know, that I would do with people and show them ways. Are they long-lasting? No, but are they... But it'll um, never work on someone who's 50 and wants to be 25 or someone who's 60 and wants to be 35. But, like, you know... That's, uh, it's actually nonsense when you think about it. It's nonsense. And, and the, the best way I can explain it is I have a 26-year-old daughter. I never want somebody to say I look like her sister. I would rather somebody say, you look good for your age. Yeah, unless but they're saying you naturally look like her sister without work done. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? That you look yeah. a lot younger. Yeah. But, you know, one of the most inspiring stories that I I'm keep reminded of, because I see Katie Piper so much now. She's on television. She's a big, um, you know, big in the fashion world. And, and she was attacked with acid by an ex-boyfriend. You're aware of the attack on her yeah. face in 2008 and her chest and her body. But boy, how she turned that around, didn't she? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And... You know, for somebody, I suppose, in the public eye like that to come out and be able to do that. I'm sure she had her darkest Darkest times. Um, I'm sure there were many tears cried. I'm sure she never wanted to look at a mirror again. But she fought that um, and she realised that what happened to her, that she could make a positive impact on lots of people, which she did and and has done. And like, I I come across people every day and and everybody is beautiful. Every, and then, you know, a huge section of people believe that they're not and, and, you know, straight away they'll say to me, oh, my God, like, look at my stomach or look at my thighs or, or you know, I can't find anything to fit me in a certain place. And they're um, off and to I, Turkey for bariatric surgery or pouches or uh, bypasses and things like that. And we just lost another woman the other day who went right. for surgery. That's I mean, right. the people, they, they will dismiss that. They'll see that in the newspaper. And they'll turn over the page um, and somebody else is probably boarding a plane somewhere in Ireland now to go and, and have a procedure done. You know, um, I, I just, one of the things I, I try to do a lot with people is to just it's change their state of mind, change what they're thinking. Um, and that's why I went into the whole neuroscience world because, you know, you will say these people who buy extremely expensive creams 
same scenario with me. I'm gifted them in the post all the time so that I'll write about them. Um, do they work, do though? I, do they work? I'll tell you exactly. They work because um, one of the, the most powerful things that we have in our human body is our brain, right? Um, and if you believe something will work, then it will work. It's a bit like hypnosis. Somebody who believes in hypnosis can be hypnotized. Somebody who doesn't believe in it can't be hypnotized. Yeah, yeah. And what, what they've done in studies down through the last number of decades is they have handed people placebo tablets. Then they shouldn't so, be legal. They shouldn't be able to sell things like this under false pretenses if it's mind over matter. Um. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that because the studies show that, you know, there's one famous knee um, study whereby 20 people all needed knee replacements. Um, five of them, they actually gave the knee replacements to. The next five, they just put the incision line and, and stitched them back up, did nothing to. The next five, they told them that they had lasered it. And then the, the, the remaining five... Um, they told them that they actually didn't need the surgery after all. And the recoup or the, um, the results out of those 20 people were the same number out of each five improved. So Amazing, because they were told the something. So I, when I see people putting themselves into debt to buy really expensive face creams or having procedures done or, you know, or a, a woman walking into a shop and seeing a beautiful dress and it not being there in her size. That, act, that absolutely breaks my heart. This whole thing about, you know, a lot of the, the high street stores, you're 8, 10, 12, 14, 16. Then you go into boutiques and boutiques being boutiques obviously are more expensive, but they are a little bit more generous in their size. And that is to make a woman feel better, you know, who would normally maybe be a size 14 in a high street store. They might be a 12 in a boutique. I heard that, yeah, I heard that. There's all yeah. these things going on and it's actually just to trick women into feeling better. And you have to be aware of that when you leave your house in the yeah, morning to yeah. go shopping. And tell me, you do know? you ever work then with people who would have maybe, as this emailer originally said to me, a facial disfigurement where you can work with them cosmetically? Well, I'm not a beautician, mm. but I do a lot of the neuroscience style work um, and I still do the styling and we get recommendations together. I ring people while I'm with that person and get um, suggestions on maybe what type of face creams are the best to use, yeah. Um, yeah. what type of foundation is the best to use because, you know... I Would you chat with her for me, do you think? Well, I had... I had originally, this all started and I'm talking to you because I was, I was giving her one of my vouchers yeah. and I didn't want to come in the air because I think it sounds like you're blowing your own... I know, I'd never, I'd never allowed that. I've had a very interesting but, conversation with you. Thank you. Um, but he insisted that I come on. So I, I was delighted because what I did say to Kevin on the phone was I will do the makeover and the whole thing with her, the style makeover. So I was hoping that some sh some different shops would send in vouchers so that we could really give her like a massive treat because, you know, I'd love um, that. how and dare somebody else change your, your how you, you oh, know. Oh, I would so love that. And I would love it actually yeah. if Mahan Point got on board. I'm quite sure that they will if I ask them and maybe they might be able to talk to some of the different outlets down there to help and change this Absolutely. around for her and turn it into a positive. Okay, so let me yeah. work on that. Let me work on that. Okay. 
All right. Okay. You're the greatest, Louise. Thank you so much for taking the call. Um, and, a, and, a, and, and I will organise for you to work with this woman, this lady, this mammy. Great, sure. great. Thanks, Louise. Cheers. Okay. Text 0868104106, guys. Text 0868104106. Just ahead of the break. I won't have much time now this, at this stage in the morning, but I will come back to it and we'll do some work off air. I'd love if Maham Point came on board already. Already, um, I see that O'Brien's are on board on this one. Bernie at O'Brien said that they'd love to welcome the lady and her family to lunch at Maham Point. We'll contact the shopping centre as well to see if they'd like to help out. I don't expect there to be an issue with them anytime we ask Maham Point for anything like that. They're more than happy to help. I knew O'Brien's wouldn't let me down on this because they're just brilliant. But just a, just a quick call ahead of the ad, uh, ad break. Katrina, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? You're with the Alpine Skate Trail and I'm hearing wonderful things about that. We gave away some passes for it recently. Why did you pick up the phone? Were you upset? Yeah, I suppose um, I was just listening to the radio there in work and I heard the story and I just thought, you know, what was meant to be such a positive experience for this woman and her daughter was, was you know, ruined. Um, and could be so ruined in the future with her not wishing to go out again with her daughter for fear of this happening again by these idiots. Yeah, exactly. Like, it can impact both, you know, the woman herself and the child in, in all aspects and make them both very conscious and worried about going out in the future. So... I, I said, look, I just fire in a message and, and see if you know we could we could try and you know give them a, a more positive experience um, and see if they wanted to come down to the skate trail and have some fun on the ice and forget about it all and and just kind of have a bit of winter crack. I really think that's a wonderful opportunity for them to do just that. And thank you for it, Katrina. You're very kind. I'll pass on the uh, invitation to them and thanks for picking up the phone. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. My heart, after hearing that lady, I completely understand why she didn't say anything, Neil. As if it was me and my sons, they would have gotten an awful fright if I'd approached that person or those people the way they behaved. I just wish to God we could get onto Maham Point, see the cameras, identify these girls, just let their parents know how the animals are carrying on. Uh, I know not much can be done now, but I would like at least to have them shamed. It's absolutely horrific. And just one more here. I'm absolutely fuming here. That is so disgusting. So many people today are just rotten to the core. That poor woman and her child, my heart goes out to her. Well, I tell you one thing. She certainly got an opportunity to see what a wonderful daughter she has reared herself and how her daughter loves her and came to her defence. An awful thing. Mammy, I've had enough to eat. Back after the break. The Slade and Merry Christmas, everybody. Caller tree and caller thirty tree. Christmas trees to give away to both those callers. Get on the phone, 0818104106, courtesy of yourselves, and kiernansgardencentre.com. See, the journal did a survey at the weekend. When is it acceptable for radio stations to start playing Christmas songs? And they asked these questions. The 1st of December, the 8th of December, Christmas week, before Christmas, or never. And the unresounding response was that no Christmas song should be played on air until the first day of December. That was the first one. That the, the number that came in second was the 8th of December. So they certainly don't want anything played in November. So it'd be ruled out there. The most popular date, the first, followed by the 8th. They just think that too many have been played too early. But anyway, you can't please everybody. Now, while that's happening, our phone lines are open for our five stars, okay? So €10,000 that you can go in and spend at Soundstore in Middleton. These five voices. I love Cork. Red FM. 
in the correct order get dialing now for a 10,000 euro prize on 0818104106 just very quickly Robert are you still there? Yes. Oh, you're dr- so, good morning. You're on the you're on the Dublin Road, in and around just past Fromoy. What did you see? I'm between Richestown uh, exits and entrances, and as I was coming up by Fromoy, there was a, a car passed me. I was doing 120, and he passed me out, and he was going like the clappers. And there was five police jeeps then followed him in the hot pursuit. So I'm assuming they're gone away ahead of me. So I'm just warning people. On the Cork Dublin Road, on the Vermont Mitchstown area, be very, very careful of what could happen. So, the, he's dr- okay. th- so this driver, I don't know, is it male or female? You say it's a guy bombing it. Honestly, Neil, he was going so fast, I couldn't make out even the registration or the colour of the car. He's oh my so God. Was he driving, Robert? Any idea? Uh, it's, a, it's a private car. It's not a fast speed car. It doesn't look like it's a fast speed car. But it's really prominent, and the five police jeeps are really after him, you know? So oh, my God. Oh, my I'm, God. I'm, I'm still traveling in that direction. Something else may have happened up ahead of me. So if it does come up and something hopefully doesn't happen... Hopefully there's not a crash or an accident as a consequence of your man's crazy driving. Absolutely. But you should have seen how fast this guy was going. They're in hot you know, pursuit, though. He obviously wants to elude them for a lot of different reasons, but hopefully they'll catch him safely, right? Absolutely. I would imagine with five jeeps in pursuit, it could possibly be uh, a bank robbery, post office robbery, or a robbery of some description, because oh there's no way five guys are chasing a guy who's a bad driver. I know you what know? you're saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Well, listen, so, everybody, please stay safe and stay alert. Come here, have you done uh, the Dunkettle interchange? Yes. What do you I make do it every day as what? I walk as what? I walk in Little Island every what? day? What do you make of it? I think it's brilliant. I think it's a real it's a real game changer. Um it's just I feel need people just need to get comfortable with it. Yeah. Because the sign the signage wouldn't be the best. You're and, so uh, right. Travel, yeah, you're so you know, right. I travel every day and I'm used to doing it, but anybody who's doing it for the first time, second time, or maybe uh, thinking of doing it, just follow the road signs on the ground rather than the air, and I think you can quite. It's, but it's very simple, Neil. It I, really is comfortable. I drove it. You know? I drove it three or four times yesterday, up and down. I was. I had lunch down in the Elm Tree. Fabulous food down there, and it was up and down in areas that area. And I have to say, I yeah. and I know it was Sunday, but it was reasonably busy. I thought it was straightforward enough. I I thought that the overhead signs knew. I knew, like you know, I think that. In the old days, if you wanted to go to Dublin, you had to be in the left lane. Now, if you want to go to Dublin, you have to be in the far right. That's probably causing confusion. But I, I thought that the signs were, were, fairly, were fairly good. And I couldn't help and but think that if there's problems down there, it's the drivers are getting, not following yes. the signs. Yes, 100% Neil. The drivers are just, obviously, things are new to them. They're nervous. But the one thing I did notice, Neil, and this is causing me uh, fire, is that there are people knowing that they have to be in the left lane to Little Island and east, but they're still travelling in the Dublin section yeah. and trying to get back into the east section once they're out of the tunnel. The lanes have swapped, yeah, but they could do with more yeah. signs, bigger signs. There's one tiny little doonchy one, the most important sign of them all, where it drills into all of the lanes and the places that it will take to you. But that sign is way too small on the right-hand side. There's one left and right, it is too small, but if you look at the ground signage, 
the big markings on the ground, they're very, very uh, easy to follow. All right. Much okay. easier. Okay. okay. I was quite, I was pleasantly yeah. surprised with it. I know it's causing all sorts of chaos down there, but I have to say, I thought it was reasonably straightforward if you follow the signs. And I wouldn't be a great driver by any stretch of the imagination. Anyway, fair play to you, Robert. Thanks for that. Have a great day and stay safe, all right? Thank you, Neil. Take, take care. You too. All the best. I love Cork. Red FM. Right, there are the five. I don't know how many calls I get today, but it's still worth €10,000 cash. You can spend Neil's five-star giveaway. With Sound Store, celebrating the opening of their new electrical superstore at Market Green Retail Park, Middleton. It's cash, all right. It's just that you spend the cash in Sound Store at their new electrical superstore at Market Green Retail Park in Middleton. So let's see how we get on here. Line to is uh, Liz Foley. Liz, good morning. Good morning. I can't say it often enough. They must be in the correct order. So off you go. <laughs> okay. Ron Nogara, Angela Lansbury, Laura Whitmore, Katrina Toomey and Niall Horan. I'm afraid I have to say to that no. Uh, 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 thank you. <laughs> I, know. I know it's a dagger in the heart. Niamh Griffins and y'all. Niamh, good morning. Hi Neil, how are you? I'm good. Hope you had a good weekend. Give me the five in the I correct did. order, and uh, you won't have far to travel from Yall to Middleton. Ten grand. I hope so. I All hope right. so. What do you think? Um, one, one is Jimmy Nesbitt. Two, Angela Lansbury. Three, Prince Charles or King Charles. Four, Laura Whitmore, and five, Nine Horan. You watching oh. the? Are you watching the Crown? No, never. Oh my I've god! Heard it was great, though. You need to I'm stop watching it because this series of the, of the Crown. You have never, ever seen anybody. I know that they say that it's fiction. I don't know. But Prince Charles, King Charles, comes across so badly. He's like such a whinger. Yeah, he is a whinger. <laughs> he is a whinger. He's a whinging, whinging man. All right, enough said on that. And his face shows, and his face shows it as well, to be honest. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm watching the latest series of it. I'm thinking, what an entitled bunch. What have they yeah. got to whinge about, like, in the life? Oh, poor Diana. Poor Diana. Oh my God. Oh my God. Watch yeah. it. You need to watch it. I will. Just go watch I will. it. I will. Right. I will. Take Thanks care yourself, Dave. Cheers. Viv is in Ahabullock. Viv, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? Okay, lay it on me in the right order, all five. Jared uh, Butler, Angela Lansbury, Anne Doyle, Laura Whitmore, Niall Horan. <laughs> Ten grand just flew past your head there. You missed it. Sorry. No worries. So sorry. Thanks a million. Margaret Horry's in Toker. Final one for now. Go ahead, Margaret. Given to me. Five in a row. Go uh, on. Number one, uh, Gerald Buckler. Number two, Angela Lansbury. Number three, Anne Doyle. Number four, Laura Whitmore. Number five, Neil Horan. Neil. Apart from the ones that we already know, the other two are incorrect. No. My apologies to Margaret, to Viv, to Neve, and to Liz. I'll give it an awful lot more time tomorrow. I intend to do a lot of things tomorrow. Of course, the five stars, obviously, lots more of our hamper emails. If you want one of our super hampers overseas to a loved one, or you're listening overseas, and you'd like one of our big Christmas bag, bag the uh, Christmas hampers that we're sending, email neil at redfm.ie. There's lots more coming in now with regards to uh, that awful experience that that lady had down in Maham Point. In fact, she's got in touch herself. Uh, I don't have time to go through it right now, lads. Um, uh, I'm way over time, but thank you for coming back to us and we'll update on that story. Suffice to say that many people um, are very, very angry and appalled as to how you were treated. But I will pick up on that conversation tomorrow and hopefully I'll have some word from 
Maham point. I see some other businesses actually getting on board and wanting to, to help and to, you know, treat her kindly. I see a hundred euro voucher from Missouri Jewelers for that poor lady. I did see other ones this morning. Even Hillbillies and Maham Point were in touch. Oh, I love a snack box. And they would love her to offer her family lunch and family voucher down in Maham Point as well. Things like that. So I'd love to make a difference to her life um, and we'll have an opportunity to do it in the morning. Lines are open now for the Skechers Cork Opera House Panto Sleeping Beauty. This is a family pass for four people for December 20th showing it's a Tuesday. If you'd like to go with the family and enjoy the Panto Sleeping Beauty, phone lines are open now 0818 You can book tickets directly at corkoperhouse.ie What else have I got for you? Of course we've got the Monday Munchies and lots of people texting in. I can only pick one so it's a box of donuts and it's for the under 12 Middleton AC. The girls did amazing in their, amazingly in their under 12s All Ireland two weekends ago in Donegal. This weekend they're off to Connor uh, to race in the under 13 All Irelands. So they could do with a treat before the week of racing and training begins. So for the under 12 Middleton Athletic Club, a box of offbeat donuts for you to munch away through the afternoon and then get stuck into training. I know I'm forgetting. We need uh, two We need two callers now for our Christmas tree giveaway. Caller tree and caller 30 tree, courtesy of ourselves and Kiernan's Garden Centre. So get dialing on those. Do we have them? If not, uh, I'll pick up on that in the morning. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.